Welcome to the Mortal Realms and Age of Sigmar podcast. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the realm gate this episode are... I'm Brian, and gibber me timbers, Adepticons off the starboard bow. I'm Paul, and I was hoping for a skirmish release from GW said, Cry me a river, cry me a river. And this is Eric, I'm setting traps, because I was left in the gibbering dome alone. In this episode, we are discussing the narrative event being held at Adepticon for the second year. That's the Gibbering Dome, and with us is the neo-responsible Paul Wagner. We'll also be discussing AOS Skirmish, its role as a playstyle in the game, the historic releases, and a bonus. We're turning this into a bonus scrying phase as we dip our toes into the war cry speculation. No whammies, no whammies. How are you doing tonight, gentlemen? <laughs> doing great. Yeah, pretty good. Uh... I'm excited to get back uh, together, Brian. You and I talking uh, campaign phase, uh, Neo's narrative, and I'm very excited to have Paul joining us. Um, obviously, co-host over on the the story phase the and story the phase. and the scrying phase. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, now he's infiltrating us over here in uh, the campaign phase, but with good reason. Uh, what have you guys been up to? Man, it is. Uh... Like we are in the the doldrums of of winter because you can tell because I can I feel like I can never spray paint anything, <laughs> and uh, so things things are just kind of piling up. Like we're getting we're we're progressing towards uh, towards Beyond Realms Edge. We're getting people signed up. Everyone's chatting on the discords. Uh, we're getting a push to to get our our pack out. In the meantime, I've got like terrain projects that are on the slow burn that I've got to push into the quick burn because. Um, we have 14 weekends left. That's what uh, Aaron Boston came up with. And that is too low a number. That is a frightening number. Oh, man. Still double yeah. digits, man. You're fine. Totally fine. You're right. I like, I like your attitude. I am fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, so when you're talking spray paint, you're primary th- talking about terrain, right? Your primary. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, uh, so, so the other thing that we're doing is uh is is armies is uh is is narrative narrative armies of weird stuff so it's it's mostly terrain i like i feel like all that's all i that's all i really do now is paint with makeup brushes um but uh but but yeah there's there's other stuff i've got in the priming queue uh that's not uh not just terrain uh paul what have you been working on um, I have been writing narrative for the Gibbering Dome. Yes. Uh, it's been my last week has been kind of working on that. I've also been designing terrain for the Gibbering Dome, yeah. working out exactly how that's going to work, and then buying materials to be able to make that a process that is possible within the time frame given. <laughs> nice. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit in this episode about kind of your modular stuff and then what you're adding on. Um, me, I have uh, only... Probably what, like four weeks now until Adepticon? Four weekends? Five. Five weekends to Adepticon. Uh, and I've got, uh, I'm, I'm on the, the final stretch of my final units for the Tale of Four Warlords, Eighth Wonder of Gur. Um, and uh, a little breakthrough with my, my frigate kind of was in a mental block because everything I'm doing is quite a bit of custom and stuff. And so not sure how I saw, you know, when you come up to a problem, you're not sure how you're going to solve it. You freeze a little bit. You ignore it uh you're in denial you see other people 
uh, <laughs> you work you know, on other projects. You work on other projects. You buy other models. Uh, so I did. Uh, I've been doing that a little bit, uh, playing in some other narrative games with Necromunda and, and that sort of stuff to kind of wet my my whistle for that particular style of, of, of skirmish play, which we'll talk a little bit. Um, and but but it's been fun getting back onto that and having some solutions and moving quickly and um, looking forward to finishing up this one thousand points and getting ready for for Adepticon on that. So okay, that was going to be my question. Like what what size you're going? Yeah, starting like with that's the, that's thousand that's, points. That's, uh, yeah, that um, that's the, the the recent stuff you've had on Twitter is is, is looking amazing. Thank um, you, thank you. And, uh, and yeah, I can't I can't wait to see this. Uh, this war, this uh, this warband in its uh, well. What's final what's state. been fun is it's uh, so we get one man eater. We're each taking one man eater as the guide to, into Gur. Uh-huh. That one man eater turned into uh, like a <laughs> a whole narrative like group of of militant pirate ogres, and and then um, they're they've got uh, dwarves that work with them. So I've got this whole second army now of pirates. <laughs> yeah. Seems like um, this sounds like seems it's like completely familiar. under control. Well, and and something that's going to be coming out pretty soon as I've talked with a couple. I'll be brief on this. I talked with a couple other um, pirate hobbyists in the AOS sphere, and uh, if if you're a pirate out there and you're looking for a safe haven, keep your eyes open on Twitter for some uh, messages that only you will understand. So <laughs> that's all I'm going to say here. Or if you're thinking about starting a pirate-themed army, then let me know. Uh, anyway, so that's what we've been up to, what I've been up to, what you guys have been up to. Um, first thing we're going to do before we get into our main topics is the thing that we're trying to do each one of these campaign phase episodes, and that is our Neo shoutouts. Uh, the narrative events that are up and coming, and in this case, one that just finished uh, that, uh, unfortunately, uh, we kind of on our radar, but... I know this wasn't. Uh, I don't know if this was heavily publicized in terms of um, things, but uh, the first one out of the gate that happened this last weekend, February fifteenth through the sixteenth, uh, in the UK, was the Fate of Sigmar, um, hosted by uh, Paul Buckler, and he. I remember he's talked a little bit about it um, uh, on some of the on some of the chats that we're in, and I know that he'll be doing some some wrap ups and some recaps of it. But he had something to the effect of. Uh, six uh, GMs uh, and and is looking to expand, so he has one per table mm-hmm. um, and that sort of thing. But the the pictures of it have been fantastic. The stories of it have been uh, crazy, and he's pushing some boundaries in terms of uh, kind of how he set up the event um, and kind of his requirements for people. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. From my understanding, what he did is he said players can register, uh, but when they register, they have to send a list of their armies. And then he sends them an army list and says, this is the army you're playing for the event. Which sounds like immensely scary, but at the same time kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. I uh, mean, it's... it's yeah. A- yeah, like we all do... Well, like we've all flirted with that kind of thing when you play, start to play Path of Glory and, and, and put your model buying choices into like a roll of the die. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this, is, this is a variation on, on, on this very thing. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, like and reaching out Reaching out to participants to help run your event with the uh, with the the with the the guest um, uh, uh, GMs, realm masters, what have you. Uh, I I heard a lot about this uh, on the Pro Painted podcast because uh, 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 Matt Lyons was one of the um, uh, was 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 one of the the, the co uh, co hosts. 
Um, I think that his work, you see it on, on Twitter. He's, he's um, he built the, the dungeon with the, um, those, those, uh, those cardboard tiles with mm-hmm. the, from the Watsi uh, skirmish game. Yep. Um, those, those look great. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my, my, um, as like, as, as, as strictly 2d, like I didn't, I didn't want, I did, like I didn't want to accept that as part of our hobby, but like I could not look at the result and 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 say like this 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 isn't exactly um, this isn't this is perfectly playable. This mm-hmm. isn't this is great looking. Um, it, it looked it looked tremendous. So what's what's next on the on the down the line there, uh, Brian? Yeah. So uh, we as as we record, um, we are uh, uh, right on the doorstep of uh, Holy Wars Five. Uh, in uh, in Yorkville, Illinois. Uh, so, so which it'll uh, that'll well well um, by the time you hear this, uh, you will have seen uh, another uh, round of, uh, of of pictures of beautiful herder boards and uh, the tremendous hobby that's uh, that's going to come out of that. Um, right after that, uh, we have uh, Gibbering Dome Two, March twenty eighth. I don't know if we'll ever uh, return to that subject. Um, uh, then uh, we skip ahead uh, to. Beyond Realm's Edge, uh, May thirty first through June second. That's uh, that's the event that uh, that that myself and, and Aaron Bossian and Alex uh, uh, Paul Many are, are running uh, in um, in, uh, in Dulles, Virginia. Um, and then the this is really cool. Um, the uh, in the Cinderfall uh, narrative event uh, in Australia has been fleshed out uh, to. Um, uh, this is this is Luke's event. Uh, it's it's the it's been identified as the War of Sorcery. There is a um, uh, there's a there's a, a preview video that he's put together uh, that starts to uh, starts to, to to start play with revealing the plot. Um, this is uh, this is this is really going to be great. I can't wait to see the reports of uh, of this and be 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 wistful that I could never get out to uh, to Australia for this. Uh, but but he's going to knock it out of the park. Um. It's good to note Cinderfall is a name you're going to hear a lot more in narrative um, uh, out, out of uh, Australia. Um, they're also anticipating that kind of team, and I don't know if it's Luke specifically, but anticipating the Age of Sigmar role-play game, and they're going to be starting a uh, live stream or a streaming um, session of AOS RPG pretty soon. Um, I bet it is, Luke, because if there's one thing he loves, it's to create more projects and bite off more things <laughs> that he can't chew. Yeah, and so I think uh, they're going to be streaming some, something. I don't, I don't know what their schedule is Monday nights, but go check them out on YouTube, and you can find out more about their AOS RPG stuff. I've seen them in the Discord and in the uh, some of the um, Reddit stuff around the AOS RPG, and so they're pretty excited about it. If you uh, have an event that's coming up that's narrative-oriented, and you want us to talk about it, can share about it, get people excited about it. If it's a campaign that you're starting um, in kind of your local area and it's just for you and your friends, let us know about it. Um, maybe we can plug some people in, that are local and they can hear about it and call you up or whatever. Um, but we're just excited to promote and share that. A couple of things I hope to get on the on this calendar in the sooner. Here's some more information about uh, to share it would be... Um, kind of next year's All Hallows something uh, as a follow-up to All Hallows Siege. Um, and it might be All Hallows Seas. Um, yes. but, uh And then uh, maybe something with Coalescence. Um, we're, uh, we're, we've got to thaw out a little bit and uh, uh, get into that. But uh, we'll get some more information on that soon. Uh, so, And if you want to contact us for that, 
uh, email us at themortalrealms at gmail.com. All right. Should we get into this uh, campaign phase? In the campaign phase, we explore how the plastic hits the table. Narrative events and campaigns, the rules and scenarios that define them, and the organizers and players that bring them to life. All right. So, Paul, welcome again. Thanks for coming and joining us. Um, and uh, you've got, what did we say, that in the, the next, or second to the next uh, event is your event in five weeks, mm-hmm. the Gibbering Dome. Let's start with the history and how the Gibbering Dome came to be and uh, how you came to be running the own, the, the first narrative event uh, or that I, in AOS for, for Adepticon. Uh, the event became a thing and how the Gibbering Dome itself became a thing was because of coalescence. Um, Eric, Davey, etc. And of course, people around the world were working on this event and have been working on it for quite a while. And there was no event locally for you guys to play in. Uh, so the Gibbering Dome became my idea to run the event because we didn't have any game stores that could actually provide enough terrain in one place to be able to sustain the number of players that I wanted to be able to hold. So yeah. there's supposed to be 20 players. So that's 10 tables if you have one on each side. And no game store could accommodate that. Yeah. So it either became we asked one game store to allow us to bring their terrain to another game store or we have a hodgepodge of some good terrain, some bad terrain, all brought together into one store, or I make it myself. And uh, after talking to Bischmeister on Twitter, uh, it became apparent that it was a possibility for me to be able to make it myself. Yeah, we all thought you were insane. Uh, because that's yeah, also I, true. I, let's, let, let's, let's note that like that hodgepodge scenario that we just uh, uh, passed by, like that's the world in which everyone else inhabits. But uh, <laughs> we, we, are, like, we, are, we are breathing rarefied. Yeah, everyone else is like, that's great. And I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> Well, and that's, I mean, that's, an, that's a testament. That's why these things start, right? It's because you're like, I need to do something different. Mm. Something else has to change or, or my circumstance needs to be different. Yeah. Um, so you ordered, uh, I mean, I remember you looking at a whole bunch of different suppliers for expanded PVC mm-hmm. uh, and you found something that was close by Yep. and you ordered uh, how much stuff? I think I ordered around $250 worth of expanded PVC. Okay. Um, which is... Somewhere between eight and ten, eight by four, six by four. I, I can't remember if it's eight by four or six by four boards. Um, and if you buy that many, they throw in cutting it up for free. Nice. So like, I oh. I had to start in with figuring out what I wanted the boards to look like, so I could order it and have it cut to size, and then start working on it once I got it home. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, and and you built it uh, to be modular. You built mm-hmm. it to to set it up um, and and kind of a, a, a huge marble kind of cathedral type of of place, but bigger than any one table could could uh, fit it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so when you had the material and you had the stuff, the gibbering. Where did the gibbering dome um, as a story element come from? Well, when I look around at a place that would be an inspiration for a large marble structure. The Wisconsin Capitol <laughs> serves as a really nice inspiration for that. So I took a lot of my inspiration from the building itself, uh, and there are some design cues that are in there, but they're very small because I didn't put a ton of depth in the, the detail itself. Okay. But there are definitely 
parts of the detail that are in there that are very specific to the capital itself. And again, like just this is a step back to the to that first coalescence, but that idea that um, we that we would that we would represent that our games would be representative of the of the place that we were that we were that we were playing in, like our hometown mm-hmm. translated into the mortal realms. Like I loved that part, <laughs> and, and, and Paul, I, like I I loved I, I, I love seeing seeing like you you run with that that especially like that is that's this. That's that's a that's a wonderful trick uh, that that we've seen in in like in RPGs and to see it, and it was the first time I'd seen it in wargaming mm-hmm. to 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 have people play at home is everyone just gets it immediately. Well, th- thank you. Uh, it just I don't know. That's I walk around a lot and I've walked to the capital probably a thousand times. So uh, mm-hmm. to me, it just seemed like a, a reasonable jump to make. <laughs> so uh, then. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the well? So then, how did you get into doing Adepticon's narrative event? What what transpired uh, to get that started? Uh, well, I contacted Alex and was like, "Hey, are you guys going to do a narrative event?" And he was like, "Nope, I don't do narrative events. I do match play." Like Alex is great at doing match play; he does exactly what he needs to. And honestly, he didn't need another event on his plate. Oh, sure, right. I mean, he's already running. <laughs> he was already running four events at Adepticon, and to add a fifth that was concurrent with one of the events that was already running, I completely understand why he would say, "No, I'm not going to run two events at the same time." Uh, by the same token, nobody else had signed up to run it. Yeah, and there was not going to be a narrative event. And after breaking it out into the three ways to play, it seemed to me that it would be a shame to not have one of those three ways to play. Uh, exhibited at the event. So did you take that on alone? Pretty much. Um, I A lot of the preparation was mine. Uh, I did rope in Chuck Moore uh, to just kind of bounce some ideas off of and get a good idea of what would work and what wouldn't work. But at the end of the day, um, a lot of it had to come down to me just because I had to transport it. Right, I can't send it to Chuck in Pennsylvania and have him help me transport it to the event in Chicago when it's two and a half hours away. Um, and because I was very unsure of running event, running an event of my own story, my own background, I didn't want to rope somebody else in <laughs> to saying, you're going to run this event. I have no idea if it's going to be a success or a failure. But you're going to be responsible for it too. <laughs> so, but what did, but uh, Chuck Chuck was an assistant, right? Or, yes. or did he just provide the, the 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 witches? He was an assistant, but he was basically an assistant player. Um, oh, oh, okay, yeah. So he provided the the villain for the the event. Um, he offered uh, graciously offered that we could use his. Witch Elf army, right? His Daughters of Cain as yeah. an army that would be an enemy at the table and allow other people to touch the models, move them around, right? And that provided a, a great basis to be able to form a storyline. Nice. Well, did you have something, Brian? Yeah, so and this was back back in those salad days when he only had 120 Witch Elves. Oh, yeah, for so sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, like so. So was how did that 
how did that design element um, uh, uh, come up? Like, what is it? What does that do to to a game to have have a have a a, a third party and an antagonist instead of just opponent versus opponent? Well, why was that? And why was that desirable? So I have uh, a good friend who doesn't play iOS at all, uh, and he just works where I work. And he was a great resource to be able to bounce a lot of these ideas off of. And one of the things that kept coming up as we were talking about the event uh, and the ideas that I had for it was, how do you keep the pacing? How do you Mm -hmm. keep 16 players all playing individually at the same pace moving through the dome, at the same timing for the scenarios? Like, how do you control that? And what I didn't want was I didn't want players ending the first scenario standing around doing nothing while other players kept playing and the mechanic that allowed us to be able to do that was to use an enemy because if one table was doing far too well they would just be able to face more of the army right and it would be reasonable that they would face more of the army if they were so successful at getting through the dome since this army was defending the dome so when they were done with their game, they could come and control? Well, if they were getting too far across the table, right? So one of the mechanics in this game was that you use triumph and treachery rules, and you had to choose another player as your enemy for the first several rounds. So there are four people on each side of the table, and it was this back-and-forth melee where you had to choose players to declare as your opponents. You could make alliances with other players at the table, and if three people made an alliance, wiped out the fourth player, they couldn't actually wipe out the whole army because that was part of the mechanic, um, then they could basically have free reign to make it through to the next scenario. But of course, we didn't want people making it to the third scenario before the second scenario had finished for the majority of the tables. So then the witch elves would show up. And the witch elves mm. would provide... I see. A way to allow us to slow down the pace of that table, slow down its progress across the board to be able to maintain uh, the excitement, basically. So, so and, and yet there's there's something there, like there's something you're playing with here. Like you were setting the different like you were setting the game in real time. Yes. Like you were you were going from round one to round two to round three mm-hmm. at the pace at which things would happen. Yeah, um, which would which would which effectively means, and this is something that we that we come up across a lot in the idea of like when you move things beyond uh, between tables, mm-hmm. right? Because 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 you're you're accepting that something is going to exit a table that's in round that's in like battle round three and is going to come over here over somewhere else that's in battle round two, mm-hmm. and like what what does that mean? So you're you're developing a mechanism by which everything is inherently synced. Yes. And, 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 um, oh, that's, that's nice. So, uh, yeah. so it was a, a, a method of, of delaying any group that was moving too quickly. It would delay, it would just give them something to play against while others were catching up. Mm-hmm. Um, what was, and, and then it would just, would you, uh, call time? Would you, uh, kind of pause everybody once they reach that point and then set up anything or were they stay, keep all their models there and then just set up and keep going or did well, everyone get lunch and bathroom breaks that's what we're doing yeah. <laughs> did, you, did uh, you make them play for nope. eight hours straight <laughs> uh we only had six hours for the event oh, wow. and yeah. so we uh basically we had the first scenario which was more just it was very much on the rails 
this is what's going to happen. Uh, You're going to watch it, and then we're going to deal with the consequences later. And then we have the second scenario where we are allowed to use the army to be able to manipulate a little bit. Um, but we offered the players a choice to ally with each other or with the defending army as well. Um, and then we were able to slow down or speed up each table by increasing the death, increasing like we could... We, we, I changed the mechanics slightly. So um, if this table was, wasn't going fast enough, right? Well, you're losing some of your saves. Like this is not the way that it's working out at the moment, which is something that I did that is not necessarily agreed upon by everybody else is that I changed the outcome of the game based on the needs of the event, as it were. And when we hit a certain point, players had ascended to the final scenario, which was this charge up to the top of the dome, to the, to the center of the temple. Um, so players had already arrived at the final table, but other players were still going on. And instead of having a victory condition of getting to the end of the table, the victory condition became you die, you move over, right? So for, for players on the first table, they succeeded at the victory condition of the game as set out at the beginning of the round. But for players on the second and the third table, they weren't achieving the objective because they were getting too bogged down. But the, me- but the mechanism was it wasn't actually about their army. The army was a mechanism to tell the story. The story mm-hmm. was about the hero. And as the heroes died off, they, they came to be in the center of the dome. Because that was the mechanism. Since we're telling a story about the heroes, the heroes could not die. They could be killed, but they would be immediately resurrected. So, well, just to, to go back to a prior point, did you ever have anything set up to control too many alliances with a defending army? Too many people that wanted to play the heel? I did not. Besides, well, actually, yes, I did. There was a limit on the number of people that could ally with the defending army. So you could have a maximum of three alliances. So one army, two armies, three armies. So you could have had a maximum of two other players ally with the defending army. In the end, we only had one. And so, but you had that across the board. So mm -hmm. not just with the defending army, but you could only create have three people in an alliance. That's great. You couldn't have all four people at the table be in an alliance together because then you would have no one to choose as an enemy and you wouldn't fight each other to get through the the dome, which was part of the mechanic and the narrative uh, was that because it was the Daughters of Cain, because it was soaked in blood, you were bloodthirsty and you wanted to kill someone. It just turned out to be the person who was nearest to you. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you do in your your design to to focus uh, attention on that hero? That, 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 that hero that everything was about. Like you, mm-hmm. you, made, you made them immortal. That's one thing. Yep. Uh, uh, the second thing I did was that the first scenario and the third scenario were exclusive to the heroes themselves. Ah, uh, okay. So the first scenario was on the rails. They all started at the top of the temple. They ended up in a fight that was ultimately a losing fight, and they were killed. And that was part of the narrative. They were killed and brought back to life through the blood of Marathi. And then they were cast out of the dome and narratively they spent the rest of their lives trying to get back into the dome and bring an army with them because something important to them had been lost. So, right? if, so if, to, to put a point pin in this real quick, you're telling that is the narrative hook that you gave all mm-hmm. the players. That's correct. Was it the hero that they named and brought to this event 
had previously been to the Gibbering Dome, yep. had found it on accident, mm-hmm. stumbled into it, been teleported there, grabbed there, kidnapped, something, mm-hmm. had fought there, mm-hmm. died, yep, and was res- resurrected somewhere else, but they had uh, left something. That's correct. Something of theirs was there, uh, and they wanted to get it back. Mm-hmm. So they were basically the, the equivalent of a rank-and-file soldier when this happened, right? Uh, but, for example, Chuck Moore, his character had lost a book, that ha- a journal that had belonged to his brother, his main character's brother. And so he wanted to come back to recover that journal, right? And so when we ended up coming through the dome, which was a second scenario where they brought the army with them, the army was just a mechanic that allowed them to process into the dome. It, mm-hmm. it, it generated part of their story. It, it also expressed a little bit about how much they were willing to sacrifice to grab this item. And then the third scenario, again, was exclusive to the hero, and they charged up into the temple instead of starting in the center, and their items were in the sacrificial altar. And their quest was to get to the altar, grab their item, and leave. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not what they all did, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so did they play that the initial... Did you have them play out the initial um, fight? Mm-hmm. Because it was a narrative event, and they wanted to make sure that everybody got into the idea of what was the intention. The first thing I did at the beginning of the event was ask each player to introduce their hero. Right. Give me the name of the hero. Um, And the second thing we did is walked through the story a bit because I wanted to set the tone. And uh, as you've talked about before, to make sure that we manage the expectations and make it clear what the expectation is for the event. Um, And the second scenario was basically the first full on scenario where they use their full thousand points and charge through the dome. So the first scenario was historic. That's correct. And then the second scenario was modern day. They'd spent however many years building their army to get here mm-hmm. and entered the dome. Third scenario was their their army had they had if they had died or their army had died in that first second scenario, mm-hmm. they were then uh, brought to the, the center and it was hero on hero action. That's correct. So, well, it wasn't hero on hero actually. It was it was heroes versus chuck's witch elves okay uh so they were butchering the witch elves as they were climbing up the steps to the center of the dome it was a it was a lot of fun (laughs) uh so in in black and white terms the first scenario was an icebreaker the second scenario was the main event and the third scenario was the finale how did you how did you control your your time during those three rounds? Like, how did you break up your six hours between those three rounds? Uh, the introduction took about forty five minutes. The yeah. main game took, I think, two or three hours, um, and the last game took about an hour, forty five minutes to an hour. Of, okay. Because there were sixteen players all around the one table, and two me and Chuck rolling the dice and and making our way through the dome itself. So. Um, it was nice to have another player there so we could both just agree on is this going slow? Is this going fast? How do we approach this? How do we change it? What if we do this? Did this work better? Right? And so yeah. it it was also just taking a feel of how the players were feeling and perhaps altering the scenario in order to adjust that. 
Do you think that because um, because this is this this is this is the tricky part, right? Mm-hmm. Like this when you start to when you start to alter the scenario on the fly, when you start to do kind of basic things to running a storytelling game, yep. you start to violate one of the central tenets of our wargaming hobby. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I I have, I have personally had some have some trouble navigating that. Like I'll come out of some like a a, a narrative event. I think everything worked great because we got that story done mm-hmm. and we got it before closing time at the store. And then I'll get a comment later that said like, well, I, I think I, I you taught, you told me that the rules of the game were no longer the rules of the game. That didn't work for me. Yeah. Um, and, and like, what did, what did you do to try to, um, to set those expectations and maybe to communicate those changing expectations to the table of 16? Well, the first thing I talked about with the rules was that number one, all three games were about your hero, uh-huh. right? And your hero is immortal. Number two, your which, army... Which is the first rule you're breaking in their favor. Yep. And number two, your army is expendable, right? There is nothing about your army that is going to help you in the final scenario. Uh, it, it is part of how you tell the story of how your hero arrived. And then number three um, was just that we're playing a narrative game. So the rules, we're setting out the rules, but we're going to potentially change them to make sure that everybody's having a good time. Because if you're not having a good time, then we're not succeeding at doing our story, right? Yeah. yeah. It sounds like, too, I mean, I'm, I mean I don't, you and I didn't talk a lot about this before it happened, and I wasn't able to get down there or participate in any way. But I'm I'm kind of enamored by the idea of the first one being a historic. Just it's just a reenactment. Mm-hmm. There's you know the ending of it already. You told them the ending of it um, before they got there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet playing through that sets a tone of like we're doing this because so that we all have that physically on the table and in that that picture in our head in reality of what this history was. So that game two is jump in the future, like it's it's you're almost you're almost I can imagine uh, game two being like ah I'm finally back you know mm-hmm. when you were just there five minutes ago yeah yeah we um we tried to do the same thing at uh, at Nova last year we had we had, our Thursday night game was a pro a prologue mm-hmm. nice. and the reason why we did it that way is because we had we knew that we had people showing up for Thursday night that wouldn't be playing in the in in, in the rest so it was like. Will give some space for character to develop and for player player interaction to like to spawn naturally, uh, but but it but it wasn't. I don't think it was a, a success because it didn't have good earmarks of a prologue. It, it it didn't it 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 didn't really establish itself as a um, a, a a prelude chapter ex- except for uh, in, in name. Um, I it it's. I, I really like the the structure that that you're describing. I I, I think it I, I think it was it was probably much more successful than what than what we tried to, to pull off. How did people respond to it? Uh, all the feedback was great. Um, the only negative feedback uh, was just with other players, which was kind of the intention, right? You're playing a narrative event, and so it wasn't that other players were playing poorly. It was that this guy kept beating up on my army, and it was like, well, <laughs> but you're playing Seraphon, and he was playing. You know, dark elves like that kind of makes sense. Like, it, it 
And because everybody was going for their own narrative goal, that was allowed, right? Like, and that was part of why the, the scenario was designed the way that it was, was because you don't know what the players are going to want to do with their army when they arrive, right? Like, one player might decide, I'm just going to try and kill my own stuff, which one of them did, right? Like, oh. one player might just decide, I just want to screw everybody else, which one player did. And if I put everything on rails that doesn't allow the players to enact their narrative, but having that first scenario on rails allowed everybody to see everybody else at the table, right? And when they got killed, they got chosen for a table. So the first people to get killed ended up at the first table. The second people to get killed ended up at the second table, etc. So theoretically, mm-hmm. you have more even heroes playing against each other right so if you've got a big bad hero right that's got like seven or eight wounds and got a two plus armor save you're gonna end up on the last table but you're gonna end up on the last table with the biggest biggest baddest heroes okay so it was attempt to have a more balancing effect on whose story is affecting whose story what is uh is that not similar to how match play matches people up right uh Mm -hmm. in tournaments you you pick the 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 people who are of a one and zero after the first game. People who win are paired against other people who win. People who lose are paired against other people who lose. Mm-hmm. Did you just bring a matched play mentality into narrative to add some balance? Uh, but there's more than that because if you got <laughs> killed first in the first game, you have more time available for scenario two and three. You're submarining. Yep. Hey, there you go. Yep, yeah. So well, brilliant. That's interesting. Be- well, but here's the other thing, right? There was only one victory condition. And the victory condition was get to the center of the dome at the end of the game. The only person who could stop you from doing that was yourself. That was the only victory condition. Yeah. But you'd be amazed at how many other victory conditions players (laughs) put upon themselves in the game. We we talk a lot about, you know, these signals and kind of like, um, well, let me ask you this question because this is kind of my setup. At the end, so you said... The, the only scenario was the only win condition was getting your thing and getting off the table. Mm-hmm. What kind of uh, awards or accolades or recognition did you uh, end the event with? Uh, there was a best story. Um, there was a best painted, um, just kind of innocuous things to allow for there to be an ending for the event, right? Like I could have not had a, any awards at all which would have been a decent signal as well, but I wanted to have just a way of recognizing those people that I thought really pushed it through, right? Um, and the best story went to the guy who allied with the evil uh, defending army, um, <laughs> so therefore was allowed to run up between the rich el- witch elves and get to the center of the dome on his own and grabbed his item, and summoned the greater demon of Nurgle and ran off, <laughs> which is pretty epic. Okay, so, so this will be my question: like how you how you how you how you defined story? Mm-hmm. Because like that, uh, or this this is a big challenge in running an event, especially running an event in six hours mm-hmm. in the middle of a con. Is the how you how you build in space for people to express things like like a backstory, like a lore. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you're you're defining story as like as the story that's told of the actions in uh, during during play. 
That's correct. Which is to say that that um, that that to like typed out text doesn't matter as much as the conversation you're having with the other players and the and the movement of your pieces on the board. Yep. Um, I re- I re- I really like that. Like that is that is uh, that 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 is that is a sense that that's like a uh, um, an edict of, of realism in that mm. we are we are war gamers. The the way we express story is through war gaming. Yeah. What I what this what's interesting here too is in the absence of I mean we've talked a little bit about signals of uh, like podiums we can be good to take those out of the place so that the you know beating up another person's army in and of itself is not the goal um, but your that that's that signal of saying to them your army isn't going to help you in the final. So how you play them on the table is just the story of how your army exists in this world. Whether they are, you know, if, you're, if your Bretonians stay noble, right, uh, and act nobly, whether your um, chaotic or beastmen act chaotically and just try and uh, create as much destruction as they can, mm-hmm. whether uh, you keep your al- alliances, whether you break your alliances, um, this just becomes kind of like a... Um, you just get to use your army in a way that feels right for that army. Um, and probably is also, you know, when you change a rule, it's like, well, I mean, I'm not, there's not a podium at stake, yeah. right? There's not a, there's not a, there's not a winner winning the scenario or winning the second game is more about, again, kind of the wholesomeness of us just smashing things together. But there's also feels like an element of historic war gaming here where you've, already told them what kind of the whole story is you're not you know it's sometimes we're trying to to do a little bit more like D D, where it's like hey what's the ending going to be you decide right or what's mm-hmm. where are we going to go next or where's the story going to twist and turn this the story is kind of like uh you, you mentioned rails but i mean like it it sets uh it's it's got the chapters laid out to it mm-hmm. but the details are not there yet yep. um and so we're acting asking them to reenact these this kind of scenario and what happens and how do you play and what is that and and literally what you get out of it is your hero's journey mm-hmm. uh for this for this moment in time and i th- i think that that's a there uh, there's definitely when you're not trying to i don't want to put it like yeah in the second scenario where your army's not winning anything it's just the means at which you got to the dome so what happened tell me the story of what happens when they got you to the dome you know that's that changes a lot of dynamics in how people play. I'm sure, but but it's also like it's so essential. Like it wouldn't be Warhammer with just these heroes. Mm-hmm. They were like we have we have to put in the scene where 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 your hero is uh, is a leader of men, it is is a is a, a piece of an army. Uh, just just because that's that's as essential to our identity as rolling a twenty sided die is for D anD. Mm-hmm. I mean when when I put a when I put an army on the table. Or even on a display, or when I'm just building it, I'm thinking to myself, "What does it say about this leader that this is a unit that it has at its disposal, right? Or that this, you know, uh, or this is the ship that he flies in? Like, just building the army is that story of like who your leader is, um, for me at least. And this, I mean, it feels like it's your your this this event, Jibbering Dome One." was a canvas in which to just tell a little bit of more story on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also defines how I play narrative games myself. Yeah. Right? Like, so for my 
drop bag scuttlers. I had a very solid idea of what they looked like and how they came to be, right? But I didn't have much of an idea of why they came to be necessarily or what their story was because there's only so much that you can do with paint. There's only so much you can do with conversions. You can say, it's got this, it's got this, it's got that, right? So with my army, I had boats, but they had legs. So there had Mm. to be a reason that they came with legs, right? Um, And then they had... They had Caradron armor, but they also had a fungoid shaman with them. So there's a story there, and I can come up with a narrative of what the story is on my own of where this showed up or why this was a thing, right? But the character of the army isn't defined by the background that I write, unless I'm writing like black library novel (laughs) type, you know, type lore my narrative is defined by what happens in the games that I play. And since I'm not necessarily that good of a player, usually my generals turn into like homicidal maniacs. <laughs> yeah, they do. Right? Or <laughs> more than, on more than one case you have you've defined your heroes by that's how like, how willing they are to kill their their crew and replace them. That's because I constantly <laughs> lose. I mean, what other narrative do you come up with besides there is like my, you know, like a homicidal killer. Yeah. I mean, and and to me, that's the interesting part, right? That's the interesting part about playing the games. I can win or I can lose, but that's where my narrative comes from. It's through the actual rolling of the dice. And so my narrative for the army is that they can't shoot anything. They literally just picked up this stuff. They have no idea how to use it. They just charge into battle because look at all this cool stuff we have. And then they get slaughtered. But the fungoid shaman always manages to escape because he knows they're no good. And he has discovered a junkyard full of a Caradron fleet. <laughs> and so he just goes and grabs a Grot tribe from somewhere in the neighboring area, tells them this big vision of how they're going to be able to go rule the world if they just come with him and grab these ships. Go find the ships, get them flying by blowing in the mushroom into the Endrons to get them airborne slightly. And they start living this dream and believing that they're these great people. And then they fight a battle and get slaughtered again. So he's just slowly depopulating this area from all the Grot tribes. <laughs> well, so do you, do you find that you're prepared for a universe in which you would win a game? Which which is to say, like, are you are 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 you um, are, do you have this vision of the uh, of the army when you start, or do you think it's like a do do, do you think that the the history of the army is a is a is a blank slate that you're prepared to to, to key off of? Uh, it's a blank slate. So, for example, my ogre army, which is from Eighth Edition, um, I had kind of started to develop it, um, and every model has a bird on it. And it became a thing where I was like, "Oh, I'm going to use this, and I'm going to do this, right?" And then one of the defining things that happened to them was that I was winning a game handily, and then a pigeon bomb went off, and the pigeon bomb was just as like piece of crap on a five plus. It does a mortal wound which did a mortal wound on one of my units and caused it to panic off the table and caught, turned a solid win into a draw, right? Uh, so the birds became the defining part about the army, but then the yeah. army went on to win the next three events, right? Uh-huh. So, like, there is something about that happening when I play... Notice Paul didn't say that he went on to win those events. No, I, I went on to win those three events. <laughs> no, it was his army. Genuinely. His, his, his army general took over. I was like, I got this. But those generals don't tend to turn into homicidal maniacs because yeah. they're really good at what they do. <laughs> uh, yeah. So 
tell me a bit then what's the so we haven't we we kind of skipped over this part i wanted to get to but tell us about the dome mm-hmm. who is the dome what is the dome uh why did it why did it trap those uh heroes in the first place and why did it call them back so that actually burns into what i've been doing this week right um so i've decided that I want to have an actual background for the dome instead of just this loose narrative tie. Okay. Um, uh-huh. So in the first... Which, which I think is in and of itself. So what you're saying is that you had a loose idea of what it was, mm-hmm. but your narrative hook was primarily, again, what happened to those heroes, bringing them back to this mysterious place, mm-hmm. having them fight. You didn't bog down in a ton of backstory for it. Yeah. Um, but now that it's had it, its own experience... Mm-hmm you're giving it some more meat. Yeah, well, I had an idea of what it was to begin with, right? Um, It is a building that exists in between the realms, connected to the realms by realm gates, right? That was always part of what it was. Um, And it it is a city that is inside of the building itself. So the building itself is so vast that it can house a city within its ceiling, within its um, interior. Uh, So... One of the other things was that um, because it is an interior space, it has limitations on players. So if you're flying, you're going to take some damage, right? If you have something that's super loud, right, something deals more than three damage, you're going to be taking some damage yourself because you're in an enclosed space. You're no longer in open air. And so things that were intended to convey to the player, you're in something that is not like your normal battle and... Those are things that were narrative cues that I wanted to make sure were included so that players could definitely feel that they were in a different place instead of just playing on a different surface. That's really cool. Do you, do you feel so, like you, you've, you've started to, to realize this power of defining the place of like the mm-hmm. place becoming the character? Um, do you ever feel like you're sacrificing something by? Um, by 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 not kind of but by, by by not putting it in the realms or multiple realms like like the uh, like the, the like you 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 establish character but then you maybe you might lose exploration or uh, or or variety. Well, it's mine. <laughs> like I mean, I don't mean that as a like self-important, self-obsessed, self-obsessed statement, but. Because of the nature of what I have, right? It's all my terrain. If you're going to play an event, it's probably going to be an event that I run, right? If you're not going to be in an event that I run, it's going to be because somebody I know is running the event with my terrain. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you're right. There is absolutely a limitation uh, that I'm applying to the background when I say that it is specifically here, it does specifically this, and these are the interesting things about it. But to me, that's the interesting part about making it is putting limitations on it so that the players can explore the limits of those limitations, right? I mean, that's part of being the narrative experience to me. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, you might liken it, uh, I mean, in terms of an event, uh, you know, Steve imagines all the different realms in uh, for holy havoc in a board a piece or you mm-hmm. know that sort of thing which gives you some exploration um at the same time it's 
you if you're going back to actually when you go to a Havoc event, you're hitting that same board with some of those same mechanics each time. Here, everyone's kind of and, and one of the things I remember, everyone kind of like, oh man, I didn't get to play on that board. I didn't get to play on that board. Um, and we experienced a little bit at uh, um, at Al Hall's Siege where we had a couple of times it, where people were had to choose which scenario they played in a given round. Not everyone got to play every scenario. And you get that a little bit with tree stuff, uh, tree campaigns, is that there's like these things that people missed out on. They didn't get to do it. There's an element of the Gibbering Dome where everyone's playing in the Gibbering Dome. Everyone's playing against that same space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see some unifying or uh, solidarity happening, you know, when everybody bands together against your stupid dome mm-hmm. that they want to <laughs> they want to burn to the ground. Well, and I guess that's something that wasn't specifically mentioned is that all the tables are identical. So the players started on the dome to begin with, the center of the dome, but then every table that the four of the four tables they played on were identical. Mm-hmm. And you did that. I mean, that was that was part of the plan with uh, Coalescence too. Mm-hmm. We had uh, was it was it four tables that we had for Coalescence or eight? Did it start we, off as? I think we started off with six. Okay, I had made ten, but we ended up running with six. Yeah, so we you know they all started first scenario all the same, and then it morphed. Second scenario was a little bit different and morphed again uh, when we had uh, you know four people. No, it was four on each table and three on another or something like that. And mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so I mean, uh, so the the thing about your terrain, your in the gibbering dome, is it can uh, give. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interestingly in in the puzzle, it's giving everybody a similar puzzle to solve. Oh, and that's completely your fault because of the narrative that you wrote into the into the. <laughs> coalescence scenarios <laughs> because the first scenario said you were approaching a building yeah right so i built an entrance to a building four times seven times and yeah <laughs> then the second scenario was you're approaching uh you're running through the halls so that was the second scenario was to build a floor and then two uh, raised surfaces on either side so that you actually were running through a hall. I don't, I don't remember what the third scenario was. Uh, it was a pinnacle. The third scenario was a pinnacle. Yeah, because so the, the pinnacle of, would change colors. That was basically the center of the dome. So then all the the players played on their own table to achieve the center. Yep. Um, so then that was actually the necessity of building this terrain was that I have limited space for storage. Everybody has limited space for storage, right? And the modularity came out of the fact that I can make these things, but I can't make three separate tables for each scenario, and I can't make it ten times. But if I make the terrain in such a manner that it can turn around, it can be pushed together in different ways, then I can make three different identical scenarios. And at for the coalescence, admittedly, it was really just volume right yeah uh so the table was level the halls were four inches above that and the entrances were eight inches above that so it was just a a variance of height that gave the feeling of approaching a building running through a hall and then going to the pinnacle well then i think so getting back to kind of the character the gibbering dome implies Mm -hmm. a zinchian element to it and the fact that uh, that you can rearrange 
the terrain in any way that you want mm-hmm. to fit any kind of uh, you know kind of mood or levels or pinnacle or whatever feels like uh, kind of the idea of the shifting labyrinth uh, very much is played out in that modularity. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of it is also just that I I don't want to be limited into what I can do based on the terrain that I have, right? Like if I'm going to have take up this much space in my house, I want to be able to do anything I want to with it, right? Like uh, uh, I had an idea once upon a time, a long time ago about building a table, right? So we've got a five by three foot dinner table behind me, right? But I wanted to build a table where you could play a game where you started on the floor and then you progressed up ascending levels to get to the tabletop. And then at the end of the game, you would have an epic battle on top of the table. And so you would literally ascend from the beginning of the scenario to the end of the scenario, like four or five feet, right? Which to a miniature would be epic. Yeah. And for a player that would actually feel like you accomplished something, even if you lost, right? You still managed to make it to the center. And I think the way that these boards are designed definitely plays into that idea. This is, by the way, such a young man's dream because it has no conception of back pain. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so, so the Gibbering Dome, uh, you're starting to flesh it out more. You give it some more character. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us? I know you, you don't want to – we're not going to spoil everything for the players that are coming uh, to Adepticon. But mm-hmm. what are some things you can tell us that uh, about the, the evolution of the dome, what it's going to mean for us this year? Uh, well, the first thing to start off with is that it is um, getting a full actual background. So there's going to be a, a page of fiction that's going to be released that is just a summary of what the Gibbering Dome is and where it came from. Uh, <laughs> so in summary... Um, it is this, again, city within a building. Um, and the city within a building is populated by these things called the Dentareth. Now, the Dentareth are basically these accumulators. They accumulate magic, um, but they're in the void between the realms, right? So they cannot accumulate realm stone. So they accumulate magic and these specific Dentareth are allowed and designed, in fact, to spin what is called Etherweb. So Etherweb is basically the realm stone of the Void. Real quick. Yeah. Are these Gentareth spiders? I, I, I didn't say there were spiders. Did you say there were spiders? <laughs> yeah, <that's good>. It <laughs> sounds why like would we ever, Why would we ever assume this? Yes! Yeah, this is... <laughs> yeah. I'm so happy that you made those spiders. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so what, there are spiders then? Yes, there are yeah. spiders. They're, they're mechanical constructions uh, as opposed to okay. living, breathing spiders. So um, and this m- magical automata? Yeah, basically. Mm. Uh, and the etherweb is a peculiar substance, as pretty much everything made out of Realmstone is, uh, whereby if you pull a person a soul a being into the etherweb their memories become trapped forever their soul is released right it's not shade glass um it doesn't store the person it just stores the memories and the dentareth because they are of this realm of the void they can access these memories at any time so when time starts out these dentareth know nothing 
they don't even know who their creator is. They have that memory wiped from them. So all they do is they walk the ceiling and they spin this etherweb. And they spin it for millennia before anyone shows up. And the first people to actually find the dome, uh, or as we're going to find out, it's actually a city called the Ldranthan. Um, it appears people to find this, uh, obviously, don't even know that the the Dentereth are there because they're on the ceiling of this vast high space. And when they do encounter them, they run away in horror, right? I mean, what do you do when you have giant mechanical spiders show up and try and kill you? Because the Dentereth are by definition defenders. Uh, so they are able to capture one of the people that run away and they pull them up into the etherweb. And as the person dies, their memories go into the etherweb and now all the Dentereth realize they weren't here to kill. They were here to explore. And so their universe is expanded. And so the next time that explorers come in, they're going to react differently, right? Now, along with these Dentereth, there is this etherweb that allows you to preserve memories, to preserve knowledge, really. And naturally to me, what would happen is the city that is in the power of the Dentereth would become a university, right? If you want to know everything, you come to the city of Eldranthan. And that's what the city is. But the city is not a university of the living. In order to contribute to this university, you have to die. And your memories become a part of this vast network that is a lot that people can access through the Dentereth. Would you say that uh, this knowledge web is open to any browser? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say it's open to any browser. You've got to be a good person, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, by the point that other people come to uh, acquire this knowledge, right? The Dentereth have developed this understanding, right, of who is a good person, who is a bad person. They've, they've developed and understood through the memories of the people that have been put into the etherweb, the intentions, um, emotions, right? So they can truly understand what it is that is approaching them. And a city springs up to take advantage, right, of this vast knowledge. And the Dentereth themselves obviously are not going to be people that rule a city, right? They are mechanical spiders. For all the good that they do, for all the defending that they can do, that's not possible. So what happens is this cult springs up to escort learned scholars to the dome and to care for them until they die and then to take their souls out of the dome back to the realms to allow them to be released back into their home right because it says in the shade spire background that in the void the soul can't find its way home so the cult of the void is there to manage the city is there to protect the knowledge but also to protect those souls who come to donate and the city develops with the cult of the void in charge, but reverencing these dead, the re revered dead, the revered memories. Um, and so obviously when you have this great promise, right, this, that what really is the fulfillment of the age of myth, something's bad is going to happen, and we're going to find out what that is. And that's what's going to cause it to turn into the gibbering dome instead of this wonderful university. So uh, this backstory is... Mm -hmm. Uh, and what you're playing out this year, then, is a prequel to what happened in uh, Jibbering Dome 1? 
Um, it's going to be an independent event. Okay. So Gibbering Dome 1 would would be very equatable to the first Explorers. Okay. Right? Um, but they did not encounter the Dentrith, but they encountered what is left. By the time that the Gibbering Dome becomes part of the Age of Sigmar, the Dentrith are gone. And all that remains is this vast network of memories but unfortunately um, all those who can access it the cult of the void are no longer sane for reasons that will be revealed awesome so as this happens there are people who want this power right the people who want this knowledge because it is the knowledge of the universe contained within this etherweb if you can but stay sane long enough to hear it so last year in the gibbering dome we had a marauding army of the Daughters of Cain who wanted to access this information, right? But nobody can stay in there too long. If you stay there too long, you're going to be driven crazy. So in the Age of Sigmar, it is no longer this vast city. It is no longer this vast civilization. All it is is a ruin that people try and gain knowledge and gain instruction from, but nobody can live there. And so as we have that, that first scenario, it is one of the first armies to go in and try and conquer the dome. But of course, they failed. Uh, the 16 armies that came in defeated them, and they were no longer access, able to access that knowledge. Hmm. But now there's a new army that's going to be coming in to try and do the same thing. And there is a possibility that every defending army could win, right? The victory is asymmetrical. You can win even if nobody else loses. So where are... <coughs> yeah. Real quick. So what is... So this is kind of the the introduction to the Dome to the new players mm -hmm. for this year. What can you tell us about what you're setting up for them, mm -hmm. what expectations you're setting for, for them in terms of of the, their army building mm -hmm. or um, what they're setting expectations. We talked about that earlier. Yep. What have you, um, what have you, what are you trying to do now to set the expectations or in the pack or whatever mm -hmm. to kind of, well, I, I don't want to just repeat the event that I ran last year, right? Um, each event should be a new story. Uh, each event. I mean, if you're playing in this event year after year, you don't want your army to go through the same story. So the army this year is going to be uh, the story. This year is going to be a little bit different. Uh, instead of being a rank and file soldier that arrives at the dome, is killed, miraculously healed, goes off and brings an army. This time you're going to come as your general, as your army. Right. The, the, this is one of the things about the gibbering dome is that the gibbering dome has a has a way of being able to choose those who enter. And it chooses you because there is something that it wants from you in addition to what you want from the dome. And so, so kind of the old librarian protocol is still working. Exactly. Yeah. Because there, and, and, and part of that is because the Dentareth, while they are not in the dome anymore, it doesn't mean that they are gone. And so they are able to have some control over what's going on. Um, and, so in this scenario, you're going to arrive and you're trying to gain some of that knowledge for yourself. 
But lo and behold, of course, there's going to be a barrier. Some obstacles. Some obstacles. Some challenges. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and so that is truly where the scenario is going to begin and where the storyline is going to begin. Um, and, of course, there's going to be some plot twists and there's going to be some uh, changes to the rules <laughs> as we know it. Um, and, and that's going to be part of uh, the background, as it were. So. If if I'm a if I'm a player if I'm mm-hmm. a lucky sixteen yep like how do how would you want me to best prepare for this event like clearly bring a thousand points mm-hmm. but like what would you like me to think of in terms of the character of 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 my general of of, of my army of a uh, of an emotional uh, motivation or anything or anything like that what's your what's your ideal state of prep you want to see in a player um, the ideal state of prep uh, thousand points fully painted. <laughs> Number one, right? Like, I I want this to be an event where people want to see pictures, want to enjoy playing against all the armies, right? I want you to have a story for who your general is, right? Uh, One of the things that's going to be a question at this event is, what is the expectation you have for how your general commands the army, right? That's actually going to be a question that the players are going to have to answer and then have to make decisions based on. Um, so I, I think what you need to do is you need to come up with a reason why your army is going to come, right? Why your army has been chosen as it were to be one of the 16. Um, you need to come up with a reason for what it is that you are searching for in the dome. Uh, and then number three, you need to really figure out what it is that your general has that defines why he should be leading your army. Awesome. Yeah. I think we've gotten a quite a bit of, of insight into kind of what's going on with the gibbering dome, where it's been some really cool takeaways um, that I hope uh, anybody listening, uh, wanting to run their event, their own event could uh, peel from. I'm sure we'll refer- be referencing this conversation in future conversations, uh, you know, my head's turning in, in terms of how I'm going to adapt some of these things. <laughs> um, but I think it's time for us to uh, kind of leave uh, the audience in anticipation of, mm. of the Gibbering Dome, what you end up doing. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I guess in this, just at the, this point, just good luck with the event. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, looking forward to seeing what happens. Well, Yeah, it's clearly going to be amazing. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, I would also say pay attention to Twitter, pay attention to the Mortal Realms, because um, there is going to be some audio files that are uploaded to allow you to really have an intro to the Gibbering Dome, um, to hear one general story of how he himself arrived at the Dome. Uh, and so that's going to be part of the build-up to the event, is just making sure that players understand that they have a place, right? that there is a reason for them to be here. Nice. So that's likely to be uh, at the mortal the mortal realms dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, likely under something of the gibbering dome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may it may be up when you're listening to this, or it may be up uh, within the next week. So, all right, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, AOS skirmish, uh, past, present, and uh, future. All right, our second topic of this episode is. Warhammer Skirmish, and I won't bury the lead, 
It is a war cry bonus scrying phase. Bonus scrying phase. We oh, we knew I we get to scry. <laughs> I'm so excited to scry, you guys. We uh, when Brian and I were talking about having Paul on, uh, Brian uh, being in the campaign phase said, "Well, if if Paul from the scrying phase gets to come into the campaign phase." <laughs> Brian gets to do a little bit of scrying phase. And we're like, you know, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> and why have Paul on and not not give him room to do that? Mm-hmm. Well, why, why not plan for it? Because it's going to happen anyway. It is going <laughs> <laughs> to Let's think? build a big enough cage. <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to lead up into the speculation with a little bit of conversation around skirmish. Um, there's been a couple of phases of news around skirmish. Uh, with the coming of Age of Sigmar 2.0 and uh, kind of adapting and all the new uh, the success of Kill Team and uh, a recent kind of reveal of a new game called Warcry. Um, Warcry. But let's talk about Skirmish. You know the title of the of the book that came out in. Uh, uh, well, let's talk about the game Skirmish or the size of mm-hmm. Skirmish or the playstyle of Skirmish. Yeah, maybe. Maybe skirmish with a lowercase s and then skirmish with a capital S. <laughs> All right. Let's yeah. talk about lowercase skirmish and what you guys feel about its importance or its role in our mass battle game. I think it's yeah, super so, important. Yeah, like All right. I, done. I think that it's, um, it, uh, it's so important to it's – this, it's this thing that keeps coming up in discussion of planning narrative uh, because one of the things we want to do with narrative is to play – at different sizes, that's one of those. That's one of those signals from uh, that, that we've always been, been talking about. Like, like we uh, we 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 go we go through a day and we go through different sizes of games, and that's the ultimate expression of the small size game. Yeah. Um, it, it and it's it, it, the promise of skirmish is that the rules are going to support the. Um, the, the micro game in a way uh, that that normal AOS does not, and another thing that it does, like we we've talked about, uh, one the the quickest path towards getting a character for for the for for what you bring to a narrative game is to zero in on the on the character of the general skirmish in in every way that's been implemented so far, it has been a um, about uh, one hero and a bunch of schlubs it, it, or, 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 but it's, it's always, it's always one hero on the board. So it very, it, it very succinctly zeroes in on, uh, on that this game is the story of, of your, of your hero because, because that's what's out in front of you. Um, I think that's why that, that, that's why as a, um, when we, when we, when we plan uh, narrative games and plan narrative events, skirmish uh, continues to entice, and and I think that um, that one of the things we've all run up against is that it's not always a successful mechanical implementation, which is too bad because it's so it is it has so much conceptual uh, um, uh, gold uh, uh, going for it. Yeah, I think it skirmish as a a size and. Uh, in its size gives us a variety in our game. It gives us another way to use the same models or similar models or some pick out uh, some models that we didn't want to build an army around it, but we wanted to play in a smaller amount. And it gives us a, a way to kind of revitalize our hobby in or the gaming side of our hobby. Um, and I think it 
like I, I agree with what you said, uh, Brian, about um, kind of how it zeroes in. It's a more intimate um, storytelling uh, with 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 the table. Um, when you have an army, you know you've got guys on the table that you know they just die. Their role there is to die, so you don't you don't get attached. Um, but in a skirmish level game, you might get more attached to that um, you know that boss or that uh, schlub, right? Because um, in a skirmish they're more likely to succeed at something or maybe they shine in a way you didn't expect. Um, and the hero is, is bigger than life in that kind of, uh, size of game. So how about you, uh, Paul, what do you, what is, what role does skirmish play in, in your gaming and what does it add? Uh, number one, it's a prequel, right? Like it's an easy prequel game to try and give some context towards a larger battle. Right, you could have a, a skirmish game where you're scouting out a specific area, right? Yep. Um, so it, it it gives you the ability to play out different uh, battle scenes on the peripheral mm-hmm. of, of a battle. Exactly. Uh, number two, it gives you individuals, right? Warhammer is about units and mighty heroes. But skirmish is about individuals. Even though you have a hero and you have four schlubs, each slob is important <laughs> because they yeah. are the four or five individuals that you have on the board. And that is a different way of playing Warhammer than playing AOS, just by definition. Um, and and it, it's interesting because every decision is based on that individual. It's not based on the power of a unit. It's not based on the, the combat prowess. It's based on that individual. When you're rolling a dice, you're rolling a dice for Liberator number four, right? You're not rolling 40 dice, and one of those 40 dice is for Liberator number four. One of them is for Liberator number 22, right? And that in of itself is, by definition, a more narrative way of playing the game. But it also allows you to develop a personality, right? Like maybe Liberator four is going to become your champion because you did this heroic thing, right? We don't really have the chance to do heroic things that much in AOS with a rank and file model. The I think to um, I, I'd key in again on what the style of game it allows us to reenact from our limited knowledge of movies or stories or books. You know the the war band in a skirmish is more like the um, uh, the Lord of the Rings. Uh, you know. Um, Ah, what am, what's the name? The party. The, the party. The fellowship. The fellowship. The fellowship. There we go. Or yeah. you know your favorite uh, you know D and D novel. The the you know um, oh man, I'm forgetting all of them. The but, Dragonlance. Yeah, but you know. Yeah, but it it you you create a adventuring party. Yeah. You 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 create a party size uh, a group of, of pieces. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um and and that's and and that that lets you. That that lets you start to sample from all the roles that are available in in your or your army. Or actually, this is important because one of the design goals of skirmish that a lot of people find very very attractive is that it keys in on the alliance, the grand alliance, rather than the army. Um, when people when people talk about um, about what they love about skirmish is that they've taken away enough about the current structure of AOS that you are back to uh, choosing anything within your Grand Alliance. Yeah. And and people really love that. 
uh, people that are getting into the, getting into the hobby really love that that they can they can just just pick the most interesting things and um, and 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 play around with the huge canvas of AOS um, and and that everything is going to work uh, just as intended within this simplified set of rules. Well, here's a question for you, and uh, we didn't discuss this beforehand, so if this is too obtuse, excuse me, but do you remember <laughs> the first models you bought, right? Not necessarily for Warhammer, but when you started buying models, mm-hmm. do you remember what those models were? Because for me, the first thing I bought was uh, Chaos, a unit of five Chaos uh, Knights, I think, right? And then like I kind of built a little bit of an army. But then I just started buying one of every animal sculpt that they made, right? So I had a spider rider. I had, like, a cockatrice. I had, like, every little animal that I could find. And talking to other players, at least, in my experience, that's a relatively common way to start collecting. Eric? Um, mine were actually, I mean, and I've said this in many different ways, is that I bought ogres, um, just ogre bulls. Uh, because I wanted to play them as a warband of ogres uh, versus my D&D players. Um, and I remember when I built them, when I'm starting not thinking about a whole army, just thinking about the models that I had, you know, I worked really hard to pose each one in a really unique way and give each one like a little different attitude. Little did I know that, you know, if I had to buy three of these boxes, I'd have some duplicates and some guys would look the same, etc. <laughs> Um, but that first box definitely had a feel of like, okay, this is, this is uh, my first in command. This is my second in command. You know that sort of thing. How about you, Brian? Um, so I think my first purchase. That, um, let let me let me deflate this a little because my first purchase was a was a, um, a Marauder uh, army in a box of uh, orcs and goblins. <laughs> nice. Of like 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 buying two thousand points at once. <laughs> like all these like like 40 goblins with with the Kev Adams sculpts mm-hmm. and um and and like uh like a bunch of uh, with a with the orc uh uh war boss on uh on uh, on boar that had uh, cool armor barding that you'd never find anywhere else um i had i remember i had a um a dragon that i got in a blister which means it was a pretty small dragon um and uh it was kind of like extraneous to the army it didn't fit into like it wasn't in the orcs and uh, goblin section of Warhammer armies. I could never bring like I never got that painted. Um, it was it was like it's it, it the fact that it didn't fit in was very was very apparent to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess I'm kind of a square. That's what I'm trying to. That's what I'm getting. Well, at. I will say that you know, um, given skirmish, uh, they're in playing some games. There's definitely models I've purchased or things that i've purchased to be able to play skirmish that i've it's allowed me to just purchase a model just because mm-hmm. right whether that be a hero uh model that i was never going to use in an army again but you know just get playing with it yeah and i, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the functions of skirmish is that it allows us to be <coughs> collectors yeah right instead of army collectors it just allows us to be collectors and to be able to build whatever we want yeah so what kind of experience have you guys had? Um, so in um, 2017, uh, after AOS dropped, 2017, we got a book entitled Skirmish. Mm-hmm. What were some of you guys, what was what was your first impressions uh, playing with that? 
using that, adapting it. Um, you know, what 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 got you into that one? Uh, I think the first was the first game we played where I played with Fire Slayers. Do you remember? So it was you and me. Yep. Playing scrimmage to begin with, and yep, yeah, yeah. And I think I was playing Fire Slayers. Yep, against my death. Yeah, and I had a Deathbringer, <laughs> or whatever, oh. aspiring. No, not this one. No, you, uh, you had a uh, Hearthguard Berserker or the the big Berserker hero. Yeah, <laughs> guy just like he smashes and skirmish through your entire army <laughs> in one go. Um, but like, I loved it because I I don't have a Fire Slayer army, right? I have a a, a collection of Slayers miniatures uh, from the old Eighth Edition from Storm of Chaos. Yep. Uh, but I've never been able to field them as an army, yep. but they're amazing models, so it was awesome to be able to play them in a game of Warhammer, right? Yep. And that was amazing. I, I loved doing that because it allowed me to play with miniatures that I wasn't able to play with otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can remember when Skirmish came out. I think it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of right after the first Coalescence. Okay. Yep. And and what that meant for for uh for like my local scene went crazy for it. Everyone loves skirmish. That's all we played for two months. Hmm. Um. Uh, and uh, we we set up uh, we set up a campaign where you could win if you beat the like a giant dracolich. So like imagine a skirmish army that um uh that that like goes against the magma dragon uh, profile. And against the other, like the other skirmish army, um, and, uh, and and so like the other thing it did was that I had built all this coalescence terrain, and we got to make tables in which uh, we would just take the terrain from like two or three tables of AOS and cram it into one <laughs> table of skirmish. Everything like had the Necromunda Mordheim density, which I've always felt is the proper density, <laughs> and there's all these armies getting in the way of it. Like, that's 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 what I loved about yeah. it, but like ultimately it was um, that the, there there was this element of it that that our that, like our group was 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 building good narratives around around our, our war bands like that's 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 what was this was giving it point, uh, uh, but we also like we started to learn what the the things that were good in skirmish, um, the. Um, uh, the elf uh, lord on uh, on stag is great in skirmish. <laughs> you pay you pay you pay uh, twenty renown or a hundred points for that thing, and it's got like seven wounds. It's so fast; he can shoot, he can fight. Um, and uh, then there's like those those spells that are that don't translate well into skirmish, like the um, the the branch witch's spell mm-hmm. is 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 really great because it can like affect every unit within range. Um, the orc uh, shaman on boar uh, has the same thing. So there was this element of we just found the new filth for skirmish. There was, uh, but there was definitely an element of of. I mean, one of the things that struck me is while a it gave you a it gave you some way of uh, shrinking the game, mm-hmm. which again was was good for for narrative. Um, you know, being able to and one signal of narrative is being able to. Um, have different sized games throughout, which displaces your ability to say that across, you know, so many games you played the same army and, you know, you, you won as best general. It just, it just throws enough wrenches in there that it's, 
you kind of let it slide, let more things slide or that competitiveness slide. Um, but, uh, but it quickly, I think, uh, magnified some of the, the imbalances of, or the, the strengths and, and weaknesses of AOS. Whereas things like movement and shooting became even better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's so, so something that could move or something that could shoot or something that could fly, it had, um, it made it even better in skirmish. If it was good in, you know, the large scale game, it was great in skirmish. As a, a spell casting at, at that, at that mm-hmm. time for skirmish is incredible. Yeah. Uh, the ability to throw out, um, uh, arcane bolt mm-hmm. is, uh, uh, will just, will, will, like it can, like it can kind of wreck games. Um, uh, because it's just a guaranteed kill of, of, of one model of one unit per turn. Yeah. And I can remember thinking like, well, this, this is, this is starting to take away from interactivity. Uh, like I, I, if, if this, if, if that casting role is right, then I can just take that model off the table. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't all the way to bad feelings, but it was kind of getting there. Mm-hmm. So what, um, <clears throat> The other thing I think with with the initial issue of skirmish, I mean, some of us have played some Mordheim mm-hmm. and or had some experience with Necromunda, and skirmish allowed again allowed us to shrink the game, but it didn't give us a lot in the way of adding narrative or campaigns um, and that sort of thing. I think there was it uh, the initial book had set it in Shadespire mm-hmm. um, and gave us some really cool Shadespire lore. Um, which we hadn't seen a lot of up into that. Uh, Underworlds had not come out yet. Yep. <clears throat> None of the Black Library books about Shadespire had happened yet. Um, and so it gave us a little insight into that. Um, it, I think it gave us a couple of uh, number of scenarios. Um, six. Yep. Six scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gave us some ideas. You know, Path to Glory was a thing. Um, it gave us a little bit of a yep. boon or whatever. Um but there wasn't a ton to sink our teeth into narratively other than what you as an individual brought to the table. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not quite like um, Mordheim or Necromunda. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some ways that that you guys adapted it or changed it um, to kind of fit your needs? Well, um, you did run out and run. Well, how, but I, I could get to that I, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, you I did, that was how it was adapted to of, fit my needs. Yeah, that's true. That, then that's that's also like <laughs> oh, that's. Been I guess the you used that too, scourge. Brian, didn't you? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I was, I read it, I was literally I read it for meaning not trying to go there, but yeah. <laughs> so for me, it was uh, there was something inspiring about the idea of renown mm-hmm. in the in the book in the first skirmish book. It used that as more of like a currency, yeah. like it was gold you spent. Yeah. Um, in my head, I wanted to figure out this idea, and this was before I'd played any Necromunda or the current Underhive, but this idea of like, what does reputation mean? Mm-hmm. What is the value in becoming more reputable, becoming more known or uh, famous or infamous? Um, and and what does that do for you in any given situation? The other thing for me was, well, the before Skirmish had come out, I... I I'm remiss for forgetting to put this in our notes, but before Skirmish had come out, we had had in, uh, Hinterlands. Yep. Oh, yes. I'd, introduced I'd, yeah, to us. I was going to um, say, I apologize. Yeah, Hinterlands yeah. was the uh, first thing. We've been talk- I mean, this is all we talk about. Before Skirmish, this is all we played. I mean, Hinterlands uh, was a packet put out uh, by uh, Sam um, Pearson, Pearson uh, otherwise known as Bottle, um, on uh, TGA and uh, D20 
Deviant Tactics online and now works for Games Workshop. But at mm-hmm. the time, he'd put together that. Um, that. Those were actually the first games of Skirmish that we played. Yep, and and there was some really there was so not not to do a ton of disservice, but there was a lot of really cool stuff in there mm-hmm. um, that were that weren't wasn't translated as well in the Skirmish. Uh, pack or book that came out some of it was taking some of those balances out some of it was taking uh imbalances out some of it was um trying to give some more nuance of things and one of the pieces for me was yeah the the having multiple people with their war bands collaborating against a greater foe this i feel like this is a little bit different than skirmish it's a little bit more like felt a little bit more like warhammer quest with with war bands Mm mm-hmm um, or something to that effect, um, but I, I certainly felt the need to develop more maps, mm-hmm. kind of a, a somewhat of a map campaign system to go along with skirmish, where you gave uh, players the ability to adventure into different spaces and have possibly random scenarios come up, um, or or uh, random environments come up, um, and then l- less of a. Uh, because the other thing that's interesting with um, AOS versus uh, Necromunda or other things is that there's not a ton of equipment or variation that you can put to these models. They don't have like the choice between a rifle and a pistol and a sword and a whatever. Like they have what they have. But what was interesting to me was what the warband could add or subtract, mm-hmm. who you could attract and who you could leave behind. Um, and that sort of thing. And so the warband kind of became the character to, for me. Mm-hmm. Which admittedly is in that skirmish book. But like that, that was that was their advancement uh, mechanism. Adding is, uh, bodies. Is adding adding renown. He would spend the renown yep. for, for bodies. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. And, and, and I took that, what I tried to do is just take that a little bit further in terms of like uh, the more your renown, the, the broader you could pick from your allegiance. Mm-hmm. So you had to start kind of within your faction. Until you grew it, had enough renown to kind of break out of your faction, like your reputation had to go beyond the people who looked like you, and talked like you, uh, in order to attract somebody who was a little bit different that for them to trust you. Um, there was something to the like the more renown, the wider around the map that your your story had been told or or you know talked about in the bars and stuff. The more you could access it or travel through it without kind of uh having uh negatives or you know monsters jump out at you or that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So there's a little bit of something for me that was uh in the renown of like reputation but also like trying to find a way to build a campaign system that gave you a sense of uh, choice um or like not just choice but choice given some contexts other than what's my best next model I should pick. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, well, and what you're talking about really like just makes me think back to Mordheim, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because Mordheim allowed you to upgrade your weapons. Mordheim allowed you to buy new followers. Like Mordheim also had this really cool mechanic that we have yet to see, um, which allowed you to buy hired guns, right? Like you could buy famous figures. You could buy special characters, basically. Yep. So you could bring them with you to the warband for the next battle or the next three or next four or whatever. Yeah. But um, what was really awesome about Mordheim and was missing from Skirmish was just that Mordheim had specifically designed models 
that were made for the game. I mean, yep. uh, if you bought the base game, you just got some free people sprues yep. from the Empire, and it wasn't all that interesting. But then they came out with all of these new sculpts. So they did Sisters of Sigmar, and they did the Carnival of Chaos, and they did all these amazing new sculpts and new background. And they really created and fleshed out an entire city, uh, which is something that we didn't really have as much of in Warhammer because you didn't really fight in the cities. Like Storm of Chaos brought some of that, right? Warhammer Fantasy role-playing brought in some of that. But it was a completely different way of exploring it. Yeah. Um, and one of the other things uh, that I think is important to mention here is that there was a release of Warhammer Skirmish that was much, much more prior to 2017. Uh, and there was a small booklet released as well. Um, and it wasn't released in White Dwarf. It wasn't released as its own property. It was released through an online magazine called The Black Gobbo that was on the GW site. Hmm. So huh. before we had Warhammer Community, this was what Warhammer Community was. Um, before we had Duncan and Peachy, you had the Warhammer skirmish scenarios. So the way that they were set up was it would be two specific forces, right? It would be five elf spearmen and one elf captain versus a hippogriff. And you're trying to steal an egg from a hippogriff nest. That's a, that's a, a so narrative was, campaign or scenario yep. in the first uh, uh, GHB. Yep. the beast layer. So it was explicitly narrative. Yeah. It was explicitly specific models. Um, and with each scenario, if I recall correctly, you also got a how to build a piece of terrain, right? So for the hippogriff, it was how to build a nest. Then you had another scenario where you're trying to bridge a gap. So you how to build a ladder so the beastmen can cross the gap. And there were all these different scenarios. And they were all presented on this Black Gobble webzine that they had done. Um, and they also gave a ton of terrain tips. They gave some painting tips, stuff like that. So before we had Warhammer Community, there actually was its own small version of it. From, but like, you know, back in the 90s, yeah, right? Like before that was even a thing, GW had already done that. Uh, and so when we have Skirmish now, Skirmish has evolved into far more of what Warhammer Skirmish was back then. Which well, was one specific scenario using specific sources. Was this post Mordheim? Uh, this was around the same time as Mordheim. I don't remember if it was post or pre, uh, but it was around the same time. It, but it was independent of it. You wouldn't be exploring Mordheim. You would be doing this specific thing sure. in this specific place. You know, there's there's echoes of that in that first skirmish book. Mm -hmm. That 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 that. Uh, uh, battle plan number six is all about going into a building mm -hmm. and with and, and fighting on its uh, on the um, uh, uh, kind of the doorway of the building. Yeah, like that. that there's the, that the more you can get that architecture mm -hmm. on your tabletop to match what the uh, the battle plan author uh, kind of uh, kind of has and, and tries to sketch out yep. uh, as as best they can. Like the more successful your your well, you're gonna be and the and the I mean the ritual from the initial I mean there's a couple of scenarios that came out in the initial AOS release and stuff that kind of give you some things to like they don't hard code it or encourage you to say you know build it this way or build it that way which maybe would be a cool addition um, but one of the things that I I do like about so 
Whereas Mordheim gives you, and Necromunda gives you these kind of unique warbands, which is really cool. Again, we talked about getting immersive. Skirmish does play or also play a role in kind of that introduction mm-hmm. to the game and introduction to the models to new players and the ability, to, uh, again, to where if you have to buy, you know, for Necromunda, I had to buy a different warband that's all in self enclosed. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not exploring the rest of the 40k range but it also is a place where games workshop is able to explore new models in small amounts right in the same way that we want to explore things that we wouldn't build into a whole army they get to explore things that don't they don't build into a whole army um but that's also kind of um one of the things that that skirmish does and i feel like is the limitation is skirmish as a rule set is there to allow you to use your big models or kind of tiptoe in put put your toe into a different army than what you would build maybe in hopes that you build it out into a bigger army later down the road but it doesn't fit all of the narrative needs that something like a mordheim or necromunda does yeah it's it's really been in this kind of pamphlet uh publishing uh uh, mode skirmish so far has been something that exists in in a in a book, usually a pretty low cost book, it's uh, it, it's going to come out. It's going to be something that overlays over everything that is uh, that that is AOS, um, but it's not going to prescribe anything. And I think it's not going to prescribe anything that has any kind of physical reality. And like as war gamers, that's what we really key off of, right? Like that's that's what that's what defines eras of gaming or the, the time that it gives us, you know. Uh, plastic or foam or or, 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 or or something that represents this particular game. So that's like that's what we haven't seen. So in in just recently then we got word that in the twenty nineteen January and February White Dwarves we were gonna get um new skirmish stuff. Now Paul, you and I in one of the first scrying phases, the mm-hmm. first scrying phase, talked a little about about what we'd like to see for skirmish right. in twenty nineteen. And we had um some ideas of it being more towards taking skirmish and taking it towards Mordheim or towards something like that. Now, lots of other people have thought and wondered about that too. So it's it's not that we're unique in wanting to move towards oh, kind of not. a Mordheim esque thing. Um, but when we saw skirmish coming out, rules in White Dwarf, my heart broke a little bit. <laughs> I sunk a little bit because yeah, I was like, a little bit. I was like, man, skirmish is not becoming something better or not better, not is not More. becoming the that narrative heavy crunchy thing that I was interested in going beyond uh skirmish for. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say I was depressed because this is just a game <laughs> and a hobby. But I was after I I rushed out to get the first one, uh the first book, I was like, "Oh, maybe they've maybe it's going to be a seven part. Maybe it's just going to be telling us a little because it was just at the at the time, it was just like, "Hey, news about skirmish is coming out." And I was like, "Is this going to be a reveal about, you know, a bigger game mm-hmm. with a, a box set and all this kind of stuff?" Um, and I, what I found was was basically an updated rule set from for AOS two point mm-hmm. And in my head, I was like, "Oh, they're not going to do anything more with skirmish this year, are they? Uh, they're not going to take it to new heights or give it the attention that I had hoped." Did you guys feel similarly? Did you have any other? Yeah, yeah. I remember reading that article and, and kind of with a, with with some notes on the side to try to figure out what it was trying to do, like what it, like what were the what were the what were the goals here? Because I read through the first thing I, I read through it, I, I, I thought was, well, we 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure what extra I have more than the over the 2017 book. In fact, I think that there's some stuff missing. Um, and and all that really did was free us from renown points, or from the need to do those renown or the point the to equation. renown conversions. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so, like, but everything else was um, was subtractive, and especially subtractive as to the reality of AOS 2.0 that we all knew by now. Uh, yeah, it was, it was like, no it was rums, like no updating spells, it no to work with rules. command points, but can't use endless spells. Can't use yeah. where we've in an AOS 2.0. We've freed up summoning to be like this um, baked in thing. You don't have to, you know, mm-hmm. pay reserve points to make that that element happen. But in skirm- in skirmish 2.0, uh, summoning doesn't work. Uh, yeah, and and no no additional tech. Uh, I can remember when we first started to play skirmish all the time. Somebody was playing skeleton based death, and they just couldn't they couldn't interact with the game. Like you could you you that was like you, you, it's gonna this is an army that works when you have big unit sizes, but that wasn't something it was it was something that that it clearly had a fix, but nobody was interested in providing it, and you could still say that in in the White Dwarf in two thousand nineteen nobody was interested in providing fixes for these things that weren't going to work at the skirmish level, yeah. but yeah, we're still iconic parts of the game. And, and that's, and, and I think just recently, and part of it was looking at, at what we're going to talk about with war cry in just a minute was that skirmish's place in the, our game in age of Sigmar is as a kind of a limited window to be able to play your, you know, your first set of models, your first box of models, on, put it on the table and have some rules to push it around. And I do think also in our uh, narrative events, the ability to scale our games up and down for some flavor. Um, it gives us that. It, it, it doesn't give us... A, it's, it's not... I don't see it as itself being necessarily the standalone um, that Mordheim or these other games are. But it does serve a role of giving us rules to play to add variety, add scale, um, and add, you know, take our hero and make them important. Um, Mm -hmm. So in that regard, I do think that skirmish has a place. It just wasn't where I thought it was going to be initially. Um, Yeah. And that takes us to what our announcement then was uh, over uh, the, uh, not Nova, um, LVO, LVO in uh, beginning of February. Is that right? Um, yeah, yeah. And that was uh, the release uh, or the the reveal of a new game that's going to be coming out for Age of Sigmar, set in the in the realm, mortal realms, specifically in the all points, uh, another place it, between the, all the, the eight rooms. points. The what? It's still under his. The, it's the eight points. It's, it's still mean, under it's, Archeon's control. It's more like four and a half points at this point, right? Because well, he's only. Con- <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> what's, what's the point? point? <laughs> um, in in the eight points, um, and it is from the creators of Underworld or the, the design team, I guess, of Underworld uh, uh, and of Kill Team, which we know in 40K has sold like gangbusters, has been a huge success in gaming groups, um, and is something that I think the AOS communities looked on with envy. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like we're getting something like that. Yeah, like that's that's the core of disappointment about the the white dwarf articles right because we all we all looked at 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 kill team and said like this is what we need 
Like, give give us this. Yeah. Uh, you know, sell us. We want to buy our old models again uh, in, a, in a slightly different box with some new cards. Um, uh, but and and so, if we're getting that, if the white dwarf articles were just a placeholder, like uh, people, like people are so happy. Yeah. People, be, you know, uh, people, in, people in this in this room, like in our communities, like it's 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 really exciting. So with skirmish set off to the side. Let's keep and, and give it its place as a useful tool, as a nice way to introduce uh, small model games, uh, introduce somebody to the, to the rules in a, in a kind of controlled environment. Set that off to the side and say, we've got something new, and it's maybe like Kill Team, may like, maybe like Underworlds. What do we know about this so far? What uh, have we been told or what, uh, what do we think we know from that? I mean, it was just a video, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so some sweet, some really cool imagery, and uh, you know, and we, now we've got a few rumors here and there. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that 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 we know? And then let's get into what we don't know and what we think might be. Well, the video has a lot of silhouettes of yeah. figures, and those silhouettes do not match existing sculpts. Yeah, that we can tell. So uh, right. So we're thinking, yeah. it seems pretty clear that we may be getting a new box set for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will, that if, if it's something like Kill Team and Underworlds that have been successful, it seems highly likely that we'll get a new box set that's just for this. With a new rule set, new book, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, and and do, do those uh, images look like, they don't look like existing models. Did they remind you guys of any factions or... So there's there's um, th- there's there's definitely some stormcast visible. I mean, there's also a lot of, 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 of clearly chaos troops, but there's this this stormcast jumping with a big uh, with a big halberd and kind of kind of this broken halo. Uh, that's that's really exciting. Um, there's kind of a uh, there's kind of a Nurgle Baba Yaga, like like Vlatkin <laughs> with a house. I love that. Um, uh, but um, uh, there's also a um, there's also a, a, a dreadhold. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that that's that's pretty. I've been I've been putting together those kits and um, and I'll ne- like I'll never unsee that. Like, <laughs> it's very clearly the dreadhold. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's uh, and what is um, and the dreadhold is that? Well, I'm trying to remember what Archeon's um, specific castle is. Uh, in the oh, I don't, points. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Do we? Do we? Did they tell us that? Um, in the Ever- oh, the Varenspire. The Varenspire. There we go. Yep. So possibly that's the you know the 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 Varenspire uh, that we see. Um, there's definitely in kind of the one of the the parts of the closing. There's definitely very clearly a chaos marauder style, maybe dark oath uh, character um, with leather kind of on his face, like strapped leather on his face, um, et cetera. So I, I think that the, I think we're going to see some more of the, the dark oath, um, design in this, uh, release, whenever that is. You guys agree? It would, it's a, like, it's a good time for that. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, it, uh, it, it, the, the 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 Shadespire warband is out. The um, the the queen and the and and the and the chieftain are out. 
Um, people are getting really antsy as to when this thing yeah. is going to come. We've got a Shadespire Warband. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is? It? I don't remember their names. Well, the Dark Oath War Queen, of course, and we had the Dark Oath War Chief as well in Silver Tower. Yep, those so. are the ones. Those are the ones he just mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> but then we and, got the new, uh, the 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 Shadespire Warband or the yeah. Nightfall Warband is the newest mm-hmm. one with the with a puppet dog. Um, and so yeah, I mean it, and. Um, and there's some rumors of them be, that being, you know, one of the warbands that comes out this year, or the armies that comes out this year, is a uh, is a kind of uh, chaos united, um, you know, dark oath um, theme. Um, so that's that seems to be all that we kind of can gather from what we've seen. Hints of stormcast that don't look like anything we've seen before. Hints of chaos that we've not seen before. Um, now we've got Kill Team and have you have you guys played Shadespire? Have you played Kill Team? No, I have not played played Kill Team. I, I I've I've read through the I've read through the book, and I read through the book under, under the under the idea that like like how would if 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 they're not going to fix skirmish, how do I do it? Yeah, uh, like like how do I take these clearly uh, like working mechanisms and 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 retrofit it into AOS? Yeah. And there's a there's it's that that like there's so much good inter, very interesting design going on there. Um, so like they t- so kill team takes takes our you know, it it takes the basic units of 40k and then just makes very very small additions to them, and, and which which means that like they can they can take our they can take the war scrolls and they can reprint them, but then they can they can put in fixes where where the parts of them don't work right now. In, when you go down to skirmish level, um, but then they can they add uh, kill team just adds specialties, mm-hmm. or, or is to say like kill team has, has a bunch of specialties that you can layer onto the model, but then they they define in the unit um, uh, breakout like what specialties they can take, um, and that's really interesting um, because it's um, it gets at uh, it's another way of getting at like what what we've what we've been missing in the Mordheim Necromunda model because it's a method of advancement and, and not just because kill team does advancement by like leveling up the specialties because inherently putting a specialty on an existing model is an advancement in and of itself. Yeah. Well, and, um, it, and in Necromunda, so I have played both kill team and Necromunda and, and they, and Necromunda also takes advantage of the skill tree or gives the ability for certain, uh, you you elect some champions that are elevated above the the, the lowest level, and in uh, you know AOS maybe it's that boss model or the you know leader of the of the unit um, who could be elected. And yeah, in especially in lieu of having a ton of weapon options or the ability to swap out a lot of different things. Um, now there is some limited choices within a particular model or a unit. You know whether it be a two handed weapon versus a, a, a a you know dual wielding or a one-handed weapon and a shield kind of thing like liberators for instance um but you yeah you add abilities and it changes the role it changes the character it changes uh what their what value they bring to your army or the style that you choose to play and that very quickly starts developing your narrative and story and and what you are trying to replicate on the table um and so yeah i i think that that's a I think that it's very likely that we will see additional abilities that select models can 
can bring um, or that can that can earn for sure. Yeah, and and like that is that is so exciting because um, those those can really get themed to AOS. Uh, we can get um, we can get navigators and we can get treasure hunters. We can get all the all the different parts. We can get pirates. Uh, we we can get like 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 everything. Everything that shows up as um, as supporting characters in um, in in black in like in Nick Horth novels, yeah, uh, we can we can now um, use the mechanical template to to, to apply to um, uh, to to our, our playing pieces, and and all these things have in the Kill Team implementation have been kind of faction agnostic, uh, if you know, which which. Which really gives us so much playing playing room, right? Because like we're going to get we're gonna, we're going to find out like what it looks like when you are a um, uh, a skeleton quartermaster, hmm. and how that will differ from uh, from being a a, a Dwarden quartermaster. Uh, there's there is a lot of like there's a lot of narrative uh, grist uh, there um, that uh, I think is going to be really fun to play with. Now I will say I think Kill Team has these set of specialists, but I don't think they're unique to any one faction. So the orc specialist tree is, or the orc uses the same generic tree for each of those. Um, yeah, but that doesn't mean that's what would happen in AOS skirmish because there's less customization in weapons and loadout and that sort of stuff. There could definitely be room to kind of push the push the detail a little bit further into like you said what does a dwarf quartermaster get to do versus um you know the um elvish quartermaster and i would say necromunda gives us a little bit of that uh, those ideas too in that uh you know the the points cost for things are a little bit different per gang right some gangs are have unlocked certain kinds of equipment uh starting off that others don't so there's there's certainly some capabilities to get detailed with each of the, the the factions, and especially if they maybe started off smaller or limited in the number of mm-hmm. factions that came out from the start, um, and then we're able to so more kill team opened up right away. It's like it's got you know however many different factions in it, ten different factions, twelve different factions in it. Yeah, I think. You know, I think when that book came out, they covered the range. I, I remember people saying like, "Oh, there's not Sisters of Battle," which was notable because they had everything else. Hmm. Uh, they 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 made a very good stab at, at covering the entire uh, 40k range. Yeah, um, and, and you can see it in the, in the way that book is organized. It's done with its rules at about the 20 percent mark. Yeah, and the rest is, oh, the rest it, and. and and actually, if I was going to go over through my percentage, an amazing percentage is name generation charts. <laughs> oh, bravo! I can't wait for that. <laughs> like, 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 um, like, like, you know, too too bad for Jamie. Like, he won't be able to do that on Twitter anymore because that job will be taken. Uh, but, um, uh, but, but, but it's 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 a solid win for for everybody else. So, Paul. Uh, are you? Uh, is there anything from that release? Just what we know from GW's the horse's mouth mm-hmm. that has you speculating or referencing other things, or are there any of the rumors that are are holding true for you? See, I think you guys are like not to to be directly 
opposing you, but I think you you're playing close. way too close to the chest, right? I don't see GW releasing another game that is basically just a carbon copy or a combination of two games that already exist, right? GW doesn't really do that historically, and I don't see them doing that here, right? What we've seen so far is we've seen brand new artwork for brand new things. That door doesn't correspond to Kill Team, right? That corresponds much more to Necromunda, uh, but they said it's going to be a combination between Shadespire and Kill Team, kind of like in that design space in between. And that's a space that we don't really have because, like, the Necromunda, are they heroes? Do you have a hero or do you have... So you get a box and you make one that's a leader. Mm-hmm. You, you get a certain number of champions and mm-hmm. then you have your regular old gangers. Yep. And then you have this other kind of utility called the Juve that mm-hmm. can become anything. It has more flexibility, but... Higher, low, low cost to start with, yeah. useless to start, but then as they gain abilities, they get more unique. So the question I would have is, what is the point in having an offspring Stormcast chamber, right? Which is really what the, these new models look like. They're from an independent chamber or they've been at war for forever, right? And a new Dark Oath set, right? What facility do we have for those unless they're going to be released alongside those armies? Right, if they're supposed to be smaller games for our existing universe, I I don't see a necessarily a facility there to release that box set unless it's quite possible we might get a new chamber and Dark Oath release this year, and this is going to be released as part of that or in correlation with that. But if we're going to be seeing that, I think it's going to be something a little bit more different and a little bit more exciting, right? Like. I don't think it's going to be a Mordheim copy. I don't think it's going to be a Necromunda copy. I don't think it's going to be a Kill Team copy. I think it's going to be something different, right? And I don't know exactly what that different is. So but the the difference between... So what Kill Team allows you to do, more like Skirmish, is let you use any models mm-hmm. that are in the range. Um, I, I do think we've we're, there's a strong implications that there is a new Dark Oath coming. And mm-hmm. every year... We have a new chamber. We yep. have a new chamber. So it's certainly possible that we're, we would see them in a, like a sprue of mm-hmm. models from each warband or a couple of sprues from those different armies, mm-hmm. those new armies coming in the in a box. Yep. Um, and so that would be more like Kill Team a, in terms of flexibility of use. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that worked really well with Kill Team. I don't know, maybe more so than Shadespire, is that just the variety. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. but what they do is they take the you can pick from any faction that you have, but then they shrink it down to it's these particular models. You can't use every model in 40k the way you can use or in, in and I wouldn't foresee you being able to use any model in um and and that was an interesting thing yeah. in terms of skirmish when skirmish came out in the white dwarf they're like yes of course you can even use Nagash in skirmish so there's this little bit of a I feel like a release valve. Of like, if you want to use any model in AOS for small games, skirmish is that. Yeah, yeah. Warcry is going to be tighter. A, yeah, I, yeah. I, I definitely see Warcry being tighter, right? So I don't. I'm, I'm just having a hard time envisioning a new product that is so closely aligned with a product that's in a range that they already produce. Well, right. And, I mean, and the same the, thing but, with the rules. But Age of Sigmar and, and 40k are that, right? They're analogs of each other. They're they're using similar rule sets. They're using similar um, language. They're using similar, mm-hmm. you know, design elements. So, 
I don't think it's a stretch to say Kill Team would have an AOS analog. So, but that being said, my question is, well, there's a few things that I think what we're touching on so far are things like just adding attributes to mm-hmm. models in order to make them more unique, um, and also uh, unique profiles mm-hmm. for uh, that would be Warcry profiles for a unit rather than pulling just their war scroll like Skirmish does. Yeah. But my question is, what does AOS bring to the table that can make this game unique? Right? Because what we're talking about is just literally throwing around mechanics. We're not talking anything about the background. We're not talking anything about the narrative. What, like, what is it that makes a game set in AOS to be independent and more interesting so what makes scrying phase interesting yeah. is saying a thing. I know, but like, <laughs> like so that's, t- take a stand on a thing, not against a thing. That's where I'm. That's where I'm grasping because I'm I'm trying to figure. Like, I mean, one of the things that we have already is we have this combat arena, right, with Shadespire, right, which Varenspire seems like it would fit very well with the combat arena system, but we already have Shadespire as a combat arena. Do you remember? System. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Do you remember? Is it Gortide? Yep. And we had Gortide as well, which is another combat arena game. Which is discontinued, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Gorchosen, I should Gore-chosen, say. Gorchosen, yeah. Uh, which was yeah. uh, maybe a little bit more analog to Shadespire in that it had uh, specific, uh, or Underworlds, had specific tiles you moved around in. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps this is a arena-style game. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there's a couple others like that in the market that are kind of like you have a few different uh, kind of a bench of warriors and then you put them into arena and pitch them against each other. And so maybe it's something like that for the amusement of, of, um, of uh, Archeon. Um, Is it, it's a, to Paul, I, I hear you saying like kind of where, what's the value if, if we never explore any tonal differences, yeah. If 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 if, if it's just if it's just little AOS, mm-hmm. what is there to be excited about? Yep. Maybe maybe the tonal difference is um is like like put ourselves in the in the 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 lens of the Stormcast. Mm-hmm. Maybe the t- the tonal difference is um is Stormcast behind enemy lines fighting guerrilla warfare mm-hmm. like, like 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 completely disadvantaged for the first time within w- w- within you know the main story of AOS mm-hmm. would you just say like how do you like what does it look like when you start to set a game entirely within uh within eight points mm-hmm. and and like what what would that what would that stormcast uh, force look like yeah uh, it has it has absolutely which is this thing that comes up a lot when we do narrative events is we take forces and we cut them apart from uh, uh, from their normal support structure, mm-hmm. which for Stormcast is really, really meaningful. Yeah, because it immediately means that death means death. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe like maybe that's maybe maybe that's like the theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is is that it, it, especially for this box. Um, it, is that these are uh, these are stormcast mortals? Mm-hmm. These uh, th- these are stormcast uh, um, uh, definite lifespan um, uh, that that are experiencing something that's not normally part of what the, what this faction has. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah, because it's one of the things that is in the background that we haven't 
explored fully is that we know what's going to be in the Varen Spire. And like, and that's a very interesting point to like, what makes this interesting? What makes this, um, so the, the Varen Spire, if I recall correctly from our, uh, I think, uh, Davey and I covered the ever chosen battle tome mm -hmm. is that it has elements of all of the gods. Mm -hmm. And so you turn a corner and you are, you know, in a corn fighting pit. You turn another corner and it's, uh, you know, a Slanesh, you know, pleasure chamber. Um, it has the ability to give you a lot of different play experiences or environments. Oh, that'd be cool. Um, and it could be something where it gives you rules. I mean, we've got realm rules, right, mm -hmm. for AOS 2.0 from uh, Malign Sorcery. What if it gave you... Um, you know, chaos realm rules. Well, that'd be fun. Um, so yeah. you get some, some Nurgle, you know, the realm of Nurgle rules and you get some realm of corn rules, you get some realm of Slanesh rules, etc. Um, and you're playing in those spaces. Um, and it could still be arena. I could see there still being kind of more of an arena feel. Cause here's, here's another element though. Um, terrain. Oh, um, yeah, I, I, they've seen that some success as selling terrain in kill team. Mm -hmm. Um, and creating in, and it's not where they f they first launched modular terrain in uh, Shadow War, um, but what if this is their opportunity to launch terrain? But it also needs to be able to be used in Age of Sigmar. Mm -hmm. You don't want to just buy lots of terrain for one style of game. Yep. So we're in ruins. We're in or it's it's more different types of dreadhold type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, uh, or, yeah, you, you know that is that is what you would get if you looked at all the art in that video. Yeah, you would you would get that they were that that the thing they were trying to sell is the landscape of chaos mm -hmm. uh, of some version of the realm of chaos. Uh, you've got you um, you know not not like the the dreadhold is in one picture, but the rest of it is um, it, it could be trying to depict a new a new chaotic terrain. Mm -hmm. and, and the only reason why, like, like ultimately that doesn't get me excited because we kind of already have that. Mm -hmm. uh, like, like we have this big, this big chaos building that I think we kind of know didn't sell very well. Uh, I mean, it's cool. It was just so expensive. Um, and and, and uh, like it, I don't, maybe they would go back to that. Well, I, I like, I have to like, I, I kind of want the other version, right? I kind of want the order city. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That um, I want to. I want the Cog City that 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 uh, the Chaos can run around in and kill everybody in that. Yeah. Um, uh, but but if your if you if your story is set in the Varen Spire, that's not what that looks like. Mm -hmm. That is interesting because in Kill Team we have Rogue Trader, mm -hmm. yes, which is uh, kind of a micro setting inside yep. of, and it, it was kind of the the precursor to the that's Arena the stuff. Mm -hmm. And so you mm -hmm. could certainly have, um, you know, uh, Warcry um, Temple City, right? And you get a Seraphon, you know, board and some Seraphon terrain pieces or something like that. Now, Rogue Trader didn't have a ton of terrain. It was a board style play. So maybe that's not quite it. But, but no, no, that's, that's why you, because they've done it twice now. They've done it with Rogue Trader mm -hmm. and Kill Team Arena. They're boards with, with, with uh, with black space between the drawn in walls and and doors and everything else, yep. uh, uh, so you would do that as within the Baron Spire, yeah. like this is your board within the Chaos Fortress. What if we get an AOS Zone Mortalis feel? 
Like mm-hmm. we got tunnels, we get um, corridors, we get uh, cramped spaces, uh, which is maybe better suited towards um, a more melee style. There's game. there's a word for that in this genre, Eric, and it is dungeon. <laughs> We're talking about a dungeon crawl. <laughs> uh, this is true. This is true. Um, so yeah, what if this was uh, or you know labyrinth or you know that sort of thing? Um, How cool would it be to get some like actual tunnel terrain, right? Like some actual enclosed spaces or. I mean, we we had a house in the video, right? Yeah. What if we had a realm of chaos village, right? Like this is where they live. This is where they survive. What if we had a completely different experience of what it means to live in the Age of Sigmar? You know, mm-hmm. ever since, uh, you know, from the um, Gates of Azir mm-hmm. through to uh, Warcry and some of the visits to Gur. And seeing a lot of barbarian civilizations, I, I think around the time I, uh, AOS started, I was building up a um, rat army, and I was thinking about like um, palisades and that sort of stuff, like log fortresses and that sort of thing. I would love something like that. That's more of like could be used for yeah, chaos, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, dark oath, but also just any barbarian tribe. That would be pretty pretty cool so what we have seen so far and it was not at the same reveal because it was at the new york toy fair but we've seen a starter version of underworlds come out right have you looked into this so uh, basically Uh, it's the snap fit um sequiturs and the snap fit mirmorn banshees put into a underworlds box right as a two-player starter game um the interesting thing about that game is it inc- it in- introduces actual like um, unaligned traps and events, right? So you can actually have weather happen. You can have stuff happen in the game, right? What if this is a, a version of Skirmish, right? That includes weather effects. That includes like all the magic of the realm, ma- all the magic of the realm of chaos, right? playing into the board itself right um that would be kind of a really that would be a really interesting thing necromunda has some of that too with uh you know kind of the beasts in the shadow and this idea that there's some environmental that we i just played a game with davy where if you have a model that's more than eight inches away from another model Mm -hmm. uh when it activates you have to roll to see if it uh you know gets caught up by this thing yeah. Um, and so there's, you know, I could see if we've got that Baba Yaga, you know, Nurgle house in the middle, and if you get too close to it or too far away, you know, tentacles come up and mm-hmm. grab you or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, like like we are some what uh, eight months into uh, into the rum rules of, of AOS 2.0. Yep. Um, I don't know that they've been a sterling success, and I think they kind of they go they go sometimes too close to um, uh, like. Uh, the the founding rule of the uh, of of, uh, of the neo movement. If um if, if Ming had anything to say about it, which was you like keep it simple. You're over designing. Take you know it, like everyone's going to forget that rule anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe one of the design goals of a skirmish uh, uh, scale game is that if if less uh, like kind of cerebral real estate is spent on your army oh. because there's so much less of it. You can start to spend that on the environment. 
That's uh, I, I think that's exactly what I mean. Necromunda has a crazy amount of rules, and it's hard to, for them to organize that even in one book or two books. But you relish in that a little bit more. If I've yeah. got eight models to play with, and I just need to know kind of a few stat lines, right. so, I'm more inclined to remember some of these other rules. Although I still forget, you still forget some of them. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, drill down a little bit more into like we're in the Varenspire, right? So who? Who's running the Varen Spire? It's Archaeon, right? And then he's got his I seven mean, when wizards. He, when he's there. Yeah, when he's there, right? So what if this is an asymmetrical game where you have chaos, right? And chaos is fighting for boons, right? They're, they're fighting to become stronger. They're fighting to become better. But everybody else is fighting to stay sane, right? Hmm. So you've got these war bands, and they're fighting for a purpose. Like, I mean, you're fighting in Varen Spire because that's where the fight is. This battle has been going on for how long? Right. right? So, so that's an interesting angle of, uh, asymmetrical. So what if, cause, uh, in the video it's, I think it's Archaon saying you've been called, right? Yep. What if on one hand, what if it, it could be from the point of view of like, you know, we've been seeing order coming into, um, you know, into the fray and winning or whatever. What if this is from the point of view of chaos mm-hmm. and it's a path to glory kind of theme. Yep. And it's about taking your hero into, you know, becoming a, um, what you call it? Um, what are the champions? Champion, uh, like a, uh, Harold. No, no, of, of Archaon, the guys on the horses. Oh, Varenspire, Varengard. Varengard. You know, like, what if it's about becoming Varengard? That could be cool. You know, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it's it's chaos-centered. Now, to me, I, I worry about that being something that would throw off. Uh, I'm not much of a chaos lover. I don't have a particular god that I'm fond of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zinch maybe more than the others, but uh, I tend to be a good player. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a destruction, I guess, because they're neutral. Um, oh wait a minute! No, I play death. Dang it! I play everybody, <laughs> I play everything but chaos. Right, really? So, but yeah, so you don't like chaos? I don't like <laughs> chaos. I'm an anti-chaos. Um, so that would maybe turn me off a little bit. But there's an interesting idea of of in the books they do a great job of making chaos minions more uh, easier to empathize with, and so this could be an interesting angle for this game to be chaos mortal centric. Mm. it'd be just going to the asymmetrical idea again so what if you had chaos trying to become Varengard right but orders only mission is to kill them right they want to stop them from ascending or death or right destruction right like you've got this I don't know I, I think there's I think there needs to be something more of a hook right because if you already own Kill Team, if you already own Necromunda, what is going to make you walk out and buy an AOS game for the rules? And I think that's what we're missing in the hook right here, right? Because well, GW doesn't design something to only be bought by one crowd. They design something to be bought by everybody. Sure, sure, sure. Well, so what you're saying is you want to transition from story yeah. to what – you're still searching for what's the mechanic. Yeah. What's so the, I don't think we're avoiding the mechanic. We're yeah. just – playing down a different path yeah um i think what we've established here is that one it could be an arena style game rather mm-hmm. than uh just two forces rum- rumbling around so that could mean to me 
um, you know, like uh, Street Fighter, where you'd start with maybe your main combatant, and then they would die, and then you'd bring in your second one, and same, you'd see if you uh, could cool. get, get through their... Um, get through their bench the slowest basically right kill mm-hmm. the other team's bench before you get through your bench um we've talked a little bit about uh, there is the board style games that are in kind of the arena and kill mm-hmm. team rogue trader yep. that are different than kill the big kill team game that everyone's raving about mm-hmm. so could it be something that's you know caverns and labyrinths and you know one i would love to see something like um you know we played a labyrinth game using zone mortalis and mm-hmm. and the tiles moved and shifted you know, having some sort of element where you're just, you know, moving and shifting. You're in the Varen Spire and, and every, your landscape's just changing all the time and models move with it, you know. Um, walls come up. It would be great to go back to that, like, the aesthetic from the Silver Tower uh, tiles. Yeah. What if it is, uh, but, but, like, what if this is Silver Tower 2.0? I think that, I think they've got that platform and, I mean, I guess, I don't know if how well that's sold, Silver Tower and then Hammer Hall. Yeah. So I, I would say I would say there's nothing in that video that says Silver Tower, like, like that would be cool, uh, but I don't think that's I don't think that's what they're t- trying to tell us. Yeah, I definitely think it is Warband rather mm-hmm. than individual model that you're running through. Uh, All right, and I and it's it's definitely Variant Spire, not Zinch, and it's not Hammer Hall. Although Hammer Hall was different than that, but it, I mean Hammer Hall was a dungeon, right? Um, I think you know the. I I like the idea of maybe instead of there being roles like, you know, quartermaster or whatever, um, that based on what you performed in the, um, in battle, you would, you would roll for, or you would accidentally earn those attributes. So there wasn't, there's not one given path. Or there's not a path to choose, but a path to earn. So here's a a, a, a kind of oblique question, but is this going to have regular D6? Is this going to have custom D6? What do we think? I think it's still D6. I think I think it's going to be regular D6. I, I think that. Um, oh, I see. Uh, they, they're making they're making a, a very strong statement with Underworlds when they when they change the die. So yeah. and I don't think they're going to do that uh, again. You don't think they're going to do that again? No, no, and this is just okay. like, like, like I can't help but I can't help but deviate strongly from the kill team formula because I think it's been they it's been so successful for them. But why? Would, because I think when people talk, I think they say, "Oh yeah, like what I really want is kill team for AOS." But why would people from forty k buy guy kill team for AOS? No, no, it's it's AOS people. It's AOS people that want to play that that want to play skirmish. Yeah, I, don't I, think... I think that's what we were talking about in the start of this segment, how we were playing AOS and they brought out the skirmish game, uh, book mm-hmm. in 2017 and we were all completely jazzed about it because it was the thing that we like, but but a little different, but but another way of approaching it. I mean, it was approaching it from a different uh, with a different army or or with a different board or just just playing in 45 minutes. I, I, I think that actually has value. I, I yep. think the well, thing you yeah. like, but but smaller is exciting to a lot of people. I will say that I've dabbled into Kill Team and a Necromunda because I lack that in AOS. And if I had that in AOS, I would, I think we'd have more people who aren't willing to, we have more people that aren't willing to go into 40K or Necromunda to get that 
the a an AOS version of of something like Kill Team would sell well. Um, I think that they will change it. I think they'll because here's the other thing we know is that they're always a, experimenting with new rules. Mm-hmm. So you know what AOS 2.0 did? They experimented with different rules with uh, you know eighth edition or ninth edition 40k. They experimented with rules in, you know, uh, some of the kill team stuff, and then brought that into arena. And uh, if we say, if we think Gore Chosen was a precursor to Shadespire, if we think, you know, all that kind of stuff, like there's a number of times where there each iteration is a exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we'll see something that's unique, but very kill team esque, but right. it will feel like a different experience. Next question, we're going to be seeing. Well, I'm going to I'm going to say last question. Okay, one more shoot the moon. I guess I'd say if you want to shoot the moon on something or if, uh, Paul, you and I want to put points down on something, we could do that. I'm having a hard time with this because we know so little about it mm-hmm. and there's so many different things that it could apply to, right? Like, um, it, it, it just is so tenuous, right? Yeah. And everything that we got for LVO is very tenuous as to what yeah. we're actually expecting, Right. We don't really have a roadmap going forward, kind of like we did with LVO last year where we got sure. Daughters of Cain. We're like, we're getting this. This is going to go forward, right? Sure. And the things that we were like, oh, hey, we might get this, right? Carrying Empire, we already have that. That's enough excuses, Paul. <laughs> Give me. <laughs> Give me five points on something. All you right. got this. You got something. Well, what, what, I'm, what I'm wondering is, is this going to be a $90 box set or is this going to be a $150 box set? Is this going to be a starter size set? Is this going to be a, an underworld set size set? That's the real question I'm I'm asking because that kind of defines whether or not these underworlds warbands are going to be included or not, right? If we have two sides, which is the assumption I think that we're going to have two sides in the starter box, are they going to be underworlds sized warbands? Are they going to be starter box sized warbands? Right? Are we going to have a blight war sized box, or are we so, going to have an underworlds box? Although you know, if you take that kill team box and you um, and you you hold it up, and then you take out uh, all the all the the models that came with it, like the infantry models, yep, and hold it up again, you'll notice the the weight didn't change because it's a giant <laughs> 150 size box and it's all terrain, it, 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 and it, it came with, it came with 20 models. If they're selling something like that, then it's both. It, it's very small games. And a table to put them in, to put them on, and you're getting it all at one shot. And you're absolutely right, and I think that's a fair point. But those twenty do- those twenty models, they were all old sculpts, right? We're getting brand new sculpts. So do we want to overshadow the brand new sculpts with old terrain, or like what you know? I, I think this is at this point, this is the question I'm willing to like put points on. Then put points. What do you think? I'm putting five points on. It's going to be an underworld size box. Okay. I want to put 10 points on uh, that we'll see chaos uh, realm rules. Okay. And that you'll be playing in different spaces that where different each of the chaos gods will come into play, but not maybe not all of them at once, or maybe all of them at once is the special scenario. But every every game will be flavored to one of the chaos gods. So that's, that's 10 points on that. All right. Do you got anything you you want to put any points yeah. down, Brian? All right, all right, all right. This is um this is this is shooting the moon. I'm not sure I really believe it, <laughs> but I think you don't have I'm going to put five. I'm going to put five points on that we will get at a certain point uh, at a certain point really early on in in this Warcry release. We're going to get an Archeon model, Archeon on foot. 
Oh. It's going to be an, an Archeon that can that can walk through the dungeon and uh and 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 uh, and, and and take and take people out with um uh with uh, the Slayer of Kings cuz he doesn't have space uh for uh for Dorgar. Um or Dorgar uh, so, could take a different shape. Yeah, he might be a house cat with uh with, with five heads. <laughs> um uh, but but like but a a um a, a they're going to refresh Archeon's place in the game uh, uh, um of AOS by providing an alternate Archeon that can run around in the skirmish level and and also like clean house on skirmish level. All right. I got another five points. Okay. And this is just crazy. Okay. But I'm going to say it. Right? So we're going to get four Chaos Heroes. Okay. Right? And I think we're going to get one for each god. And I think they are going to be reimagined old heroes. Right? Like maybe Acold Hellbrass. Uh, maybe to call it the night because that's like my favorite, <laughs> my favorite pick for this whole year. Right? Uh, Arbol the Undefeated. Right, maybe we're gonna get some of these old characters, who are really good characters, really well designed, great background, and brought into, um, into this new Age of Sigmar. Nice. Put five points on that. Nice. Okay. Um, how about how about a terrain or a setting? I'm, I like the idea of arena, but I don't think it'll be arena. Uh. I'm more inclined um, for it being an outdoor space, but like I think we'll get maybe a centerpiece for each of the chaos gods. Like we'll get like if that Baba Yaga, mm-hmm. like Norgal house thing, will be one uh, that is kind of set in more of a wasteland or a, a garden or something. Then we'll get a Varenspi- or a Varenspire style one, and then we'll get two others. Uh, over the course of that, for each of the chaos gods, that will be in, maybe like a know, centerpiece. So you play, maybe you play around a central tower. There is a conspicuous absence in the uh, new uh, Blades of Corn book to a terrain piece. Yep, that, that's a solid guess because we're getting the new Blades of Corn book. We're probably going to be getting a Slanash book, right? So that's a solid guess. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be part of Warcry, but I think. Well, that's my guess. That's a solid I'm, guess. I'm putting five points on that for Warcry. Yeah, um, I think that we are going to get um, it's it's not going to be it's not going to be the initial wave, but Warcry is going to ground going to grind on, and we're going to get to the point where they get like the dispossessed uh, uh, warband, and it's going to come out with some amazing ancient kit that they resurrect, um, like like a uh, like Warscar Citadel uh, a style, like the um, like th- the Alpine skiers. All right, not that, not, I mean, not that old. <laughs> okay. I, I think I think we're going to see, like, the Infinity Stairs uh, come back out. Ah, okay, um, I see. And, um, and uh, that, uh, that, that, that's, that stair, like, that circular stairway, whatever, which, whatever, which yep. one, one that is. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that, that we're going to, uh, we're, we're going to, we're going to see some of this, some of this old terrain. And I would love for them to release the AOS 1.0 uh, terrain. I would love to get the Dragon uh, uh, Dragonfate DS out again. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if they if they can do that. But definitely like the yeah. the seventh, like the the sixth, seventh, eighth edition terrain. Come back out again. Awesome. All right. Well, 
I think that's about all the time we got. Yep. Uh, some good speculation there. Some good musing. It was fantastic to talk to you guys about the Gibbering Dome. Paul, thank you for joining us in that. And uh, talking about Skirmish, which we all love dearly. It's got mm-hmm. this this small war band play style is, is near and dear to us. Um, but we'll have to wait and see what happens next. So, it's time for our reforging. But Sigmar willing, we'll be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Anything you can do to spread the word of Sigmar further than we can on our own would be greatly appreciated. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter, at The Mortal Realms. Brian, where can they find you online? I am at Borb Hobby on Twitter. Paul? At PJ Shard. Uh, I'm at Stone Monkey Gamer on Twitter, mostly. You can listen to more episodes of the story phase, the campaign phase, the scrying phase, and our uh, Underworld's What the Hex, as well as hobby content and upcoming Gibbering Dome content uh, in the lead-up. And you can do so at www.themortalrealms.com.